0: Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's Tip Today. Coming up on this morning's show, efforts to get underway to find the remains of a tip man wrongly convicted of murder. The death of a young woman in UHL to be the focus of an investigation into management of the hospital. A public meeting on the Thurlis Bypass Project is set to take place next week. We'll hear more about that. An OECD report claims there were no excess deaths here during the pandemic. We'll be speaking to Professor Anthony Staines about that later on today. We find out more about For After I've Gone, an amazing project born from a woman dealing with a devastating diagnosis. And our horticulturalist, Alton Nesbitt, will be here to answer all of your New Year's gardening queries. The phone lines are open this morning. You can text or WhatsApp us 083 311 331. Or you can call us directly on 1800 938 007 and we'd be delighted to hear from you this morning. Uh, well done to Luke Littler last night. I'm sure a lot of people watching the darts, an amazing game of darts. I wouldn't be a huge fan but I watch it every Christmas and it is just an unbelievable story, this 16 year old. You wouldn't think he was 16 to look at him but what an incredible game that was last night. And now into the final and it's going to be historic. It's fantastic and it's been a wonderful, uh, World Arts Championship this year it's been great to watch and very entertaining so uh, let us know your views on it as well if you've been following it Uh, it's a story that's dominating a lot of the papers as well this morning which is no surprise so we'd love to hear your views on it but uh, to home now and an independent investigation another story that's Really dominating headlines this week and today. It's an investigation led by former Chief Justice Frank Clark and it will be conducted into the death, the tragic death of Aoife Johnston. And will examine the circumstances surrounding her death as well as the management and operation of University Hospital Limerick. Now, this investigation comes after a scathing internal review by the HSE that highlighted certain issues related to the tragedy. It will focus on the 16-year-old's death from meningitis that was after she waited 12 hours in an overcrowded emergency department in December of 2022. Dr. Connery is a member of the Midwest Hospital Action Group and Nina Needs Its A&E campaign. He joins me now, Connor. Good morning. Ali,
1: Happy New Year to you. How are you today?
0: Happy New Year, Connor. I'm um, We're great. But I mean, this story, it's such a tragedy. And unfortunately, groups, uh, uh, people like yourself and groups like the Midwest Hospital Action Group have been warning about this for a long, long time. But to see what happens to this poor 16-year-old is, it's beyond tragic. It's maddening.
1: Well, I, I suppose the first thing, and I'll answer that straight off, but the first thing I want to say, Ali, is I'm going to speak this morning in a personal capacity, rather than from the campaign and what I mean by that is that the campaign we generally don't speak publicly as a collective about EFA, if you know what I mean yeah. but um, those of us on the campaign as individuals and I know it's hard to separate the two um we're on the campaign because we've had better family experience of the UHL ED and so that's why we're part of it so that's that's the capacity I'll speak in this morning yeah. and I have obviously commented publicly on it um, It is maddening and it is heartbreaking, Uh, it is something that has rattled uh, a lot of, it has rattled me to my core reading this story about Aoife, particularly as it was carried the last two Sundays in the Sunday Independent um, where they carried a lot of the details of the internal, UHL's own internal review into it, into the situation. I would encourage people to get their hands on that paper or you know it's it's behind the paywall online or whatever, but find it it is devastating ali is the mm-hmm. only way to put it we and i and lots of others have of course been warning of this situation for um or a situation like this for a long long time, and you know it didn't take the likes of us to to put out those warnings um a tragedy was always going to be inevitable um, because you cannot sustain the situation that has been the norm in there for all of these years and not expect that there would be a tipping point. But there have been other tipping points, maybe not in such a a devastating way, maybe not in such a um, high-profile way as this one has rightly become. But, you know, there is evidence out there linking mortality to lengthy trolley weights, and that has been out there. The Mail on Sunday covered that before Christmas. Um, We have given, and again, I'm, I'm talking about we, but, you know, I shouldn't be, but the campaign in the past, earlier, later in 2023, spoke before the Petitions Committee at UHL and gave evidence. Um, from the UK, suggesting the correlation between lengthy trolley weights and mortality. Mm. Um, but this, to go back to this situation, uh, Alison, is just heartbreaking. It was it's devastating reading, and when you read the kind of brilliant hour-by-hour hour account that was given by Maeve Sheehan in the Sunday Independent, who is a brilliant journalist. And in last Sunday's Indo, she gave the, the, the kind of every hour, every two-hourly account of Aoife's, as she called it in the in the uh, report, Aoife's fatal journey through UHL Emergency Department. Gosh. And I thought that was very powerful, Yeah, her fatal journey through the UHL ED. Um, and that that was the part, I think, you know, for me that really struck a chord because a, a patient um, does not go into any medical facility, uh, especially when they walk in or are linked in or helped in or whatever, but they go in conscious, you know, mm-hmm. and when it's, it's it's a person that... um, I, I mean, there were all sorts of missteps there. Yeah. And I'm trying to be careful, but they were all, according to that report, their own internal report, um, a lot was got wrong there.
0: Yeah. Uh, and even if you look at staffing levels for that weekend that Aoife was was in hospital, there was one clinical nurse facilitator to support integration and education. There was only one uh, emergency consultant who was on call for the whole weekend. So staffing would appear to be the main issue here, would it not?
1: And at one point, there was one nurse, I think, in a, over a particular zone of a crazy number of patients. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say 67, but I have to be sure. Um, but I did comment on that at the weekend uh, on my Twitter. And I have to say that fact alone, that fact alone, that one nurse being over responsible for so many patients, um makes me wonder why heads have not already rolled here because that is unforgivable. It is simply, I, I simply, I don't care that there are staffing problems and that might sound blunt and it might sound unrealistic and a bit, uh, like hyperbole, but the reality is Alison, you cannot safely run a facility in that way. You just simply cannot do it. Um, and we we don't seem to have. I know there are staffing shortages shortages everywhere and in all hospitals. But you simply cannot allow a situation to develop where you have one nurse in that particular zone, which was who was over all those patients and responsible for all those patients, and expect good outcomes. Yeah. So someone needs to be brought to account for that. And. Mm-hmm. What I personally have been screaming about on, on this case is accountability. We've never had accountability there for all that has gone wrong through the years, but we need to have, and I'm, I really personally welcome the fact that this new investigation is going to be looking at the management of the UHL emergency department, because that's long, long overdue.
0: But how long will this process take and how long will this report take and then what could be the likely outcome from it?
1: Well, there we go, you see. The investigations, of, and and in a sense, the review into Eva's death, the internal review, I mean, it, it, she passed over a year ago and it has taken close to a year for that yeah. review to come into her family's hands. So that's a year. Now if we're going to have a judge-led investigation um, instigated by the HSE itself but it will be sort of an independent because it's, it's judge-led that's uh, that's I would assume going to take just as long again mm. because you have to give uh, everybody due process in the case if you have people who have questions to answer then they are going to have to be given the time and space to answer those questions um, that's you know that's something that Eva wasn't given, unfortunately. But um, in in saying that, that's the natural order of things. It's how we do things. So it is going to frustratingly probably take just as long again. Yeah. I mean, I hope it doesn't. What could the outcome be? Um, recommendations. I presume uh, that won't be adhered to because, I mean, HICWA have made recommendations to UHL and management have certainly not followed through on all of them or on the key ones. So um, I wouldn't have any high expectations on that. They simply don't listen. Um, So if it's operational recommendations, then I would hold out no uh, hope whatsoever. Um, However, if there are deeper recommendations about actions to be taken, uh, you know, directly arising from EFA's case and it pertains to responsibility and professional responsibility and uh, professional actions and how they may or may not have impacted, then, you know, we, we could hope for something like that. And if, if direct failings are pointed out uh, on behalf of, on the part of people mm. and, you know, management I'm talking about here, yeah. um, then, then we would hope that that because, you know, we would hope that, that something, I would hope that something would come from that because, uh, Alison, until and unless there is serious responsibility taken for something uh, at that facility by somebody and somebody experiences consequences, then nothing is going to change. And yes, yes, I know, I know, and we all know that it is understaffed, it is under-resourced, and uh, ca- capacity is a huge issue yeah um, but the dogs on the street would have told you and have told us and have told me and have, have told me personally for years, and it 's no secret that management across that entire hospital has has been an issue, and that 's been said on the doll on the mm. floor of the doll as well, so there needs and there needs to be a root and branch. Shake up. We don't see these problems in other acute hospitals to this level. We just don't. You know, so um, we have to do better with what we're being given.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's, that's the reality with the resources we're being given. We have to manage them better um, while we wait for the broader problems to be resolved.
0: Another factor which played into eva 's tragic death as well was the um, was, was sepsis and how she developed sepsis following on from from meningitis. Would you find that concerning? I mean after the death of Savita Halpanvar in this country, there was a huge public awareness campaign put into yep. recognizing the symptoms of sepsis but yet in this case again we see that those symptoms or the manifestations of sepsis were somehow overlooked again by health officials
1: yeah and and there was no urgency towards yeah. you know toward that and that's very frightening and and this is the stuff as i say that has rattled some people that you can go in and you can you know, somebody somewhere makes a call on this and there's still no urgency, you know. She was many, many, many hours into that stay, 12, into that into that admission, yeah. and she was getting paracetamol, you know. Now, sepsis, I mean, anyone that's ever known anybody that has been, you know, has experienced sepsis or has had their life threatened by it, oh my goodness, it's so frightening
2: mm.
1: how quickly it can move and... Addressed. It's a it's a devastating diagnosis if it's not addressed very quickly. And so, um, yeah, it it from the internal review, it really feels like.
0: you be afraid, Connor, that the health staff there will be scapegoated in this case?
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, very much, very, very much, because um, believe me, uh, one thing that we're very good at in this country is throwing each other under the bus. Yeah. And I think it's not just in this country, in fairness, um, but if one section is. Uh, going to protect their own back on this and protect their own backs on this and their own sectoral interest then they will throw anyone under the bus that they can and that's very, very worrying. Um, The internal review accepted uh, that nurses were very concerned that nurses were making uh, a lot of the running for EFA, were upgrading the call to next levels the whole time to next levels of of seniority uh, the whole time but getting nowhere. And um for a very long time during that stay, and during that admission, and so we we have to have and that's why i I really say that we have to have consequences, but they need to be top level consequences yeah. we can there has to be somebody ultimately responsible ali there has to be you know um if, if something goes wrong. You know what government like we we say, say we see this when when I I don't know what to say but like when if a min, if a government minister has to resign I'm not talking now about this I'm talking about cases in general if something goes so badly wrong in a, in a government department or you know in Britain we see prime ministers have had to resign over you know when, when situations get so bad and so out of hand you know the person ultimately in charge of an organization.
0: Is accountable. Is accountable.
1: Yeah, and so we we have to see people at the at the, at the top of the UHL group hauled <coughs> um, over the coals here and made to answer for how that unit that that emergency department was allowed to be operated that night and into the next day under those conditions.
0: Yeah,
1: and expect that patients were going to be safe Connor- what were what were they doing to um to to safeguard the patients that night and that's very very concerning and it should be very concerning for all of us mm. so no I hope that staff are not thrown under the bus here because uh they're the ones on the ground especially at nurse level and I can't highlight that enough yeah. who were being um who were, were, you know, pressing the alarm button for Aoife and for probably many other people like her and continue to do that all these months ever since. Just remember how bad the numbers have stayed. Oh, they were, they were nice and lower, lower, not low, but lower over the Christmas period at UHL. But that was at a great cost to elective surgery and those things were all put off until yeah. the 15th of January. and um, But all year long, those numbers have been still at an devastatingly high level so um, you know it is awful what happened to Aoife Johnston Um, her family I don't know how they are able to continue functioning frankly because it's so devastating what they went through and our hearts go out to all of them they really do
0: What do you make of that statement made by Stephen Donnelly over Christmas, Connor? where as you were saying I can't remember exactly what he said but he was very hopeful about that numbers were actually down in hospitals but as you said that's because all elective surgeries were cancelled over Christmas but he was very quick to come out to say oh our numbers are down, everything's looking good, it's okay here we will have pressure with flu and we will have pressure with COVID but we're doing fine. If
1: I wanted to say what I want to say about (laughs) uh, Stephen Donnelly right now. You'd take my call off the air, Ali. That's the truth, you know. Um, And I I can't stress that strongly enough either. Um, He is the spin master in chief on this issue. And the stuff he's coming out with is not only ridiculous, but it is offensive to everybody who has been suffering on UHL trolleys and every other trolley everywhere else, and has ever suffered. He has. He had the goal to come out yesterday, and he actually responded to a friend of mine on Twitter, which he never does. Mm. Um, a friend of mine from uh, Ennis, Simon and Claire, who lost her husband on a UHL trolley in 2019, and um, he. He 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 made this statement yesterday. You know, praising how well everything went and the huge Herculean efforts of the staff across the hospitals of Ireland. And yes, it's always, by the way, it is always this, the efforts of the staff yeah. in the hospitals that, that that keep the doors open. So let's let's put that on you know mm. front and centre. Um, but uh, and he talked about numbers being down and how, how great it was, and he almost he, he was he was almost making, <coughs> on the verge of talking about green shoots here.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, he was called out on it in a polite way by a friend, as I say, from, <coughs> from Innes Diamond, who is very well aware of the numbers at UHL, and call, uh, the, the person called out um, the INMO trolley watch figures for UHL for yesterday, which initially were at, 112 people waiting on trolleys in UHL. But that was revised down to 85 later in the day. Revised down to 85. Still a staggering number. Um, So she responded in kind to his tweet and did so very politely. And he responded back, which was kind of shocking, which he never does. And he said, hi, Marie. um, Just for clarification, uh, UHL had five people uh in uh, in their A&E in their ED on trolleys yesterday morning at 8am now th- this is the great rivalry between what's called the trolley gar figures which is the way the HSE manages their figures which is totally discredited mm. long long discredited but they're still hanging on to it and it's the it's the measurement that they have for measuring trolleys in the hospitals and um as versus the INMO numbers which uh, is done by people on the ground by the, the nurses yeah. and midwives organisations. Uh, why are those
0: numbers so vastly different Conor all the time? Because uh, quite simply
1: the, the trolley gar figures which is the HSE's own figures are unrealistic they're measured in a different way and they are massaged figures. They are essentially measured in order to, um, to, to it's, it's very complex but the, the formula they use is people maybe not admitted, but on trolleys, not in waiting rooms, not on, not having been triaged. And, you know, they, they put a lot of provisos before they say that somebody is actually waiting on a trolley.
2: Right. OK,
1: so you could be on a trolley, but you're not counted as being on a trolley yeah. because you've not gone through a certain stage. Um, whereas the IMO figures are people on trolleys full stop. Yeah. And that's that's a trolley is a trolley, whatever stage you're on, in in within the system. So um, he had the goal, he had the absolute neck to come out and say, to 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 a friend, and and did it did so publicly. Someone who was widowed by a UHL trolley, as I pointed out to him, um, herself, that there were only five people in the U, on trolleys in the UHL emergency department yesterday morning at eight a.m. I mean, this guy, this. Stephen Donnelly character, I, I don't know what sort, he never shows empathy, he never shows compassion um, and I've heard this from other organisations as well uh, he, he is completely devoid of any form of empathy for the suffering that goes on at UHLBD and he is living in a different reality if he thinks that people are swallowing these numbers that he's trying to sell because mm-hmm. they are rubbish they are rubbish numbers, they are rubbish economics that he's trying to put out there. This idea that there's any form of green shoots going on is just fantasy and it is typical Stephen Donnelly spin and every time he does it, Alison, every time he does it, he dishonours the dead. He dishonours our dead, people that we lost who suffered in their final days, people like my father who thankfully didn't end his life on a UHL trolley but spent too many days in the last weeks of his life and nights on UHL trolleys when he was suffering from having had strokes at eighty nine years of age. And there's many, many others like him, and every time Stephen Donnelly spouts this stuff, he dishonours those we lost and all of those thousands of people who suffered. Yeah. So he needs to knock that off. That's oh. that's how I feel very strongly. And mm. I, I if we were if <clears throat> putting the campaign hat on tomorrow, if I was offered I sit down as, as part of the campaign with Stephen Donnelly, I wouldn't take it. No way. I wouldn't sit in front of that guy. Yeah. Absolutely not.
0: Gunner, I'll have to leave it there for this yep. morning.
3: Thank you so much for talking to Thank us today. Thank you so much,
1: Alison. Have Thanks, a lovely Connor. day. Take care. You too
0: Welcome back to Tip Today. Some listener reaction to our piece with Connor Reedy. A listener says, God rest Eva, and God love her family and friends. Sadly, she's not the only one. Anyone that attended the protest march last January saw other families there that had a similar experience with UHL. It's important that everyone turns out for the next march on January 21st. Uh, a listener says, I had a daughter taken to UHL yesterday evening at... Uh, Oh, I'm missing the first number there. After a car accident, was still on a trolley at 12:40 last night without even being seen. It's an absolute joke. Listener says, well done to Connor for calling out Stephen Donnelly, the most inept Minister for Health the state has ever had. Uh, Vincent Brown was correct when he described him as a waffler. Another listener says, um, I totally agree with what Connor was saying. A spin doctor for sure, it's all he is. I myself got sepsis and to be honest, it's the most frightening illness that took hold of my body so fast that I was on death's door. So my sincere condolences to this beautiful family. The HSE is a beast that nobody is able to able to tame, only throw money at it. The best way forward is to do an audit like they did with RTE and see where all the money is going. That's from Jodie. Uh, Another listener says, I had a recent experience in Tip Hospital, a very good one actually. Staff and treatment were excellent, but mainly from non-national staff. Many staff chatting and complaining while non-national staff working like no one's business. With the HSE, it's a case of a cover-up and take no responsibility. Throw any scapegoat under the bus, pay compensation and carry on. No one is learning from or changing the system. Patients suffer and managers' politicians plod on. Anyone can massage figures to suit their argument. Typical Ireland, hide, cover up, carry on. Will we ever learn? Keep those texts coming into us. 083 311 331 1 or 1800 938 007. Now, if you were listening yesterday, you'll know that we were discussing the recent increase in road deaths in Tipperary and what's being done to address the issue. We had a number of ideas from listeners on what can be done to change driver behaviour and driver attitude. I think there was a general agreement and consensus among listeners that really what's what's happening is really down to our own behaviour on the roads, that we've become more aggressive, more inconsiderate on the roads, so what can be done? Michael was in touch with us and he joins me now. Michael, good morning.
4: Good morning, and a happy new year and all your listeners as well.
0: Happy new year to you as well, Michael. Tell you me, you want to ask
4: me now what I do or are you going to tell me what I should do?
0: Well, I'll ask you first of all, what would you do?
4: Well, it's like this, Alison. I, I am not going to brag or boast about driving or anything like that, but I drove my post post nineteen and a half 19 and a half years of age. Right. And I was told by the driving a tester, he was from Waterford City, and a gentleman he was, and he said, no, Michael, he said, as we drove along the road, we have no passengers today. I know, I said, well, he said, you will have passengers maybe tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. I said, you're the captain of the ship. <laughs> Simple as that, he said. Yeah. The captain goes down with the ship. No, you're not going to go down with your buses. Too. You have to mind your people. And that's, I tell you, it was a fair call when the man said it like. It yeah. was right to say, you're the captain of the ship. If anyone gets hurt, it is your problem. But there yeah. are people out there with four or five people in the car. They don't mind it. Just driving along at, I wouldn't say enormous speeds, but I've seen them myself they're driving way over the limit. And they have no control maybe as well. Yeah. And if you state yourself when you get out in the morning... You're, going, say, you're, you're in, in, say you're in cash and you want going to there, uh, it's 30 miles. Yeah. You call it miles, we're about kilometres, but it's 30 miles. Are oh, you going to go in 30 minutes? You won't, because that road, you won't do it in 30 minutes. So you give yourself 40 minutes.
2: Yeah.
4: And go five minutes earlier, check your tyres when you come out, and check your lights that are working, your wipers are working, and your tyres is properly inflated. But you know, they jump into the car, loads of people jump into the car and don't even look at nothing. Yeah. Don't even look. It's going to be out petrol or diesel. Drive on anyway. I mean, no, you have to get to work. You you put it into your head before you go to bed. And night I'm going to come out tomorrow in time, and I'm not going to be rushing. And that's the whole of it. And it's bad. It's bad. Uh, the weather learned yeah, badly learned. Now I know one girl in particular very well. She was in my art here three, years, three weeks ago, and I said, "You passed your test." I did. Did he fail you? He did, what did he fail you? He said I wasn't looking out to the back window often enough. Right. Why would you have to look out to the back window? There's no back windows in a van or a truck. Well, she'd look out to the back window. He let her go, he said, all right. And did you take you out the road and drive you at 60 miles? an hour? oh, no, no, we just around the city. Oh, right. See, so you don't know how to stop the car at 60? No, no, one never told me.
0: But you have your rear view mirror as well, don't you? you so do,
4: but yeah. They never told her how to stop the car at 60. So I said, right, no, we'll do it in, I said. Would you come out the road with me now? Well, what? i just come. I will, she said. Come out the road. And we're driving at 30. 30 mm. miles an hour. I said, stop now. I said, there was not coming behind now, right? So she stood up very quick. Now it's said, they up to 60. Oh, 60? I said, we're doing 60. But she's going to do it someday. She'll up to 60. I said, stop now. And she said, the brakes must be bad. No, say you're doing 60 now. She was never told that, Alison. Right. And that's what's wrong with are not. And they're tested, they're tested, and I'm not saying about tested, but there will have to be a law brought in to take her out the road, not in the town. They drive around the town if John mills, any whatever it is, they're not taking out the road, Alison. Yeah. And it's the same when they're being learnt, they're only learnt in the towns. I've never heard tell of anyone probably someone come on and say I'm wrong. But a lot of people said to me, I was never learned any of her only in the town.
0: Yeah, and even now, I mean, with the number of motorway networks we have in this country and still motorways don't form any part of a driving test, which is crazy.
4: Well, sure, we'll say after five lessons. You should be, take out your person on the motorway. They don't have to do uh, 125 kilometres or 120 yeah. kilometres. They can drive along there at... 100 30 even. 30 we're talking maybe 100 kilometres. Yeah. And there's never a truck once to drive over because most of the trucks are doing about 50, will stay if you take kilometres, doing about maybe 80 kilometres. They're doing million yeah, yeah. kilometres. So you're staying ahead of the truck. And when you come to the exit, then just pull off there and maybe go all around the roundabout and come back down again and drive the other side of the motorway and explain about if you're coming out onto a motorway. From mm. um, an exit, you're coming onto the motorway. The traffic then on the inside lane is supposed to go out to the outside lane to let you pull in. Yeah. People don't do that. They, they just...
0: don't, Michael. What is that about? Well, sure,
4: they're not learned that way. That's yeah. all that's wrong, Alison. They're badly learned. And the uh, they, they test is going to come on now and everything given out and others. But they're not being tested. They're not being let on the motorway until they pass their test.
0: Well, I suppose they will tell us that they have a certain criteria, that this is how they're told they have to test drivers. They can't go off their own bat and say, I think this driver should go on the motorway so I can test them there. They're yeah, not well, allowed to your do that. Yeah. Um Stephen
4: Donnelly. But sure Stephen Donnelly is is the man that's going to be the the boss of the hospital's under that. Hospital. So why don't they get the minister for transport, and let him bring in this law you have to go on the waterway before you go for your test. Yeah, And it's not, not a big job. Sure, Eamon Ryan? And I'd say that would, that would, Eamon rain. I'd say probably ne- maybe never drove a car on the road. He's, like, he's in, a, he's in a, a state car. Yeah. And the other minister then, uh, I, don't, I can't think of his name now, he's in a state car as well, and then you have someone, I won't mention her name, but she's a woman, and she's head of the RSA, and she get most of the life driving around the state car as well. Yeah. And all these things, but there's so many things, Alison. If you look at it this way, you go up in the morning into your car. You don't look at tyres. You don't look I at. I don't, the brakes, to be fair, Mike.
0: No, I don't.
4: Now, but people do it, and then you have people in car parks. They drive in, but they don't back in. Yeah. They don't back in. They were not pro- probably not trained to back in. And then you have people on roundabouts don't indicate. People with dirty number plates—it's all carelessness. Yeah. But if you're driving for A11 and you're the captain of the ship, you'll do what you're told to do. Yeah, Because your boss will say to you, "Definitely say to you, hey, we cannot clean them taillights." I know I've seen loads of you'd see them yourself, Alison. Mm. You wouldn't even see the back of the car, let see the number plate. Yeah. And if he hits you or she hits you, they're gone with no number, no number, and you can you're sitting there in the middle of the road. There's so many different things. It's just go out in the morning to your car, van, truck. If you go to your truck in the morning, as far as I know, you have 14 different things to check before you drive off. And you have to tick them all. And when you're stopped by the RSA, the first thing they'll say, Did you check your things this morning? Oh, what did you? Show it to me. Sorry. Did you ever check your lights? Pull in there. And if you were short to tail out, they will leave you on the side of the road until you get fixed. Right. No, that's that's for truckers now, and I'm, yeah. I'm not backing up truckers on it. But that is the law. Yeah, it
0: they are they are held those. to a, a different standard. Can I put a, a comment to you from a listener? A listener says, "I think the te- the theory test is just a money making scheme. Anyone can answer a few questions, but it's the actual practice on the roads that matter, not a piece of paper and learn to drive safely."
4: What oh, do you think no about it? Sure, look at the theory test. How much oil do you put in the car? How much water do you are putting it? Pressure on tires and all this it's to go out on the road and be told by the first day you go out on the road explain everything should be explained before you take off mm. at least at least five minutes let note the church pressing the brake accelerate, accelerator not to be taken off uh, skidding skid the tires and look the road ahead look ahead that's where you're driving don't be looking around you and you have two mirrors the one on each side and you have one in the in the rear mirror that so you can see what's behind you but this girl told me she wasn't looking enough in the back window. I said, what do you mean in the back window? Oh, I should turn around and not time and never look in the back window. Damn it, who tested her?
0: Yeah, that's kind of mad, isn't it? And who I does that? That?
4: I tell her, I said, you're joking. No, I'm not, she said. So yeah, said
0: if well, if you're go go reversing, fair and she enough. She showed me but...
4: what she was doing. She was driving along and we are doing about 45 miles an hour, 50, whatever it was, and... I said show me the way so she turned her head and she looked Watch out the sheaters. back window you're up to taking areas of the yeah. road for what three four seconds
0: That's mad. Michael hold the line there Liam is with us as well uh, good morning Liam
5: good morning Alison happy new year
0: happy new year to you Liam what do you make of, of this conversation Do you, would you agree with Michael that people just aren't trained properly to drive anymore
5: Absolutely. Uh, uh, the Minister at the moment, Minister Chambers, is talking about reducing the speed limits and Michael is there is talking about uh, people being aware, yeah. regardless of the speed. The speed should be in relation to the road conditions and a last of things, Michael said. There, I'm sure if you put it to Minister Chambers, he would take it on board, especially about being trained on a, in a on a motorway. Yeah. Um, my, my concern is that there's a lack of proper education, and I think Michael brought it there. A uh, theory test is very much good if you're not doing the practical. Um, can I can I bring you a story? 25 years ago, where I went to Modelo to a truck show. And uh, I drove around it uh, on the ice car with a tester, and I'm not sure if you're familiar what an ice no. car is. An ice car is an ordinary car with four extending wheels put outside, about five foot on either side. And he has the control sitting in the passenger seat. And he can lift the car on the left or lift the car on the right or lift the car. And you have to be able to control it. Now, driving around Mandela, which I thought was an an normal speed, would be fair enough. But next thing you start pressing these buttons, and I was all over the place. It's to train people how to react uh, in ice. And it absolutely blew me away. When I, when I came home, I, I wrote to the then minister for transport and said, Mandela, ideal opportunity there. Go ahead and turn that into a, a training centre instead of people driving around town with no experience, which is fair enough, I mean, if that's all they can do. But I, I was hoping for a proper training centre. And to me, that time, 25 years old, Mandela looked like it. Build, build like, uh, a, a town in it, a falls town, uh, like you have above it in, in Fair City. Build a yeah. falls town and have it. Like, and I wrote to Rose my speech, which was then a very uh, uh, um, good car driver and she was delighted with the idea but when I put it to the minister he knocked it straight away which again like Michael said it's the people in the power that don't have the brains which is sad really because we're the people that are suffering but that was, that was just a particular incident there was an opportunity 25 years ago to build a yeah. training centre and they didn't take it on. And I'm quite sure Mondella at the time would have been accommodating because they could still run their, their normal car race, mm. just that they would have a at a a one part of it that would have fallen to town town yeah. uh, and play like that. And Liam, in, in I take program, it that
0: you learned how to drive on ice because of that. That's probably something you carried throughout well, your years of driving. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh,
5: absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm above the upper age limit. I passed my driving test in 1976, so I would be on the road for quite a while. Uh, I only had one accident. That was ice at the time, but that was before I did the the test. Uh, Since that, I I see lights flashing in front of me when I see frozen weather and like that. But the flashing lights are to wake me up, to be aware of what's in front of me. Uh, It was the best thing ever. I've never seen it before, but called the ice car. And nobody is trained in that. Absolutely not. Which is sad because we have problems. And you had it in South there recently where a car hit water. I, I won't go too in-depth in it because... There was a lot of lives that was lost in it. But basically, what happened is they came over a break. Yeah, there was but a no, we, we, we
0: can't, loud, that. that's still under investigation, no, 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 so we no, can't no, go into yeah. that. But I mean, what yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're talking about is the broader um, subject and aspect of, of, of maybe training younger drivers. But as well as that, Definitely. I mean, do you feel like I think there's a lot of, of different complex factors in this? And people were mentioning yesterday in terms of uh, roads police and Garthie not being there, that the number of those are down. Do you think that that matters really? Really, in the in the grand scheme of it, should it all come down to training drivers, um, changing maybe behaviour for those of us who've been on the road for a long time who think we're great drivers when we all have bad habits? I mean, let's be frank about it.
5: Oh, oh I agree with you fully. Uh, even pe- people of my age, you know, they probably should be going for a test again because even the signage has, has changed. Yeah. Uh, there's a sign on the road that confused me for a long time. It's like a teardrop. And uh, until I looked it up, and which took a while, it wasn't on the RSA line. But when I looked it up, uh, it's the call is to uh, make people more uh, aware or a warning of an event like a hospital ahead to things like that. Right. So, so yeah. Well, I don't people know what like you're talking about. Probably, yeah, probably I don't should, know that. Probably pro- people like me should probably do a retest, but I wouldn't like to see it get into a, a money scam. You know. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, we we have that in this country. Everything seems to be a money scam, which is is sad really. Uh, education and awareness. And that man Michael said it there. When you're when you're on your in your car or your bus or wherever it is, be aware of your surroundings. Uh, reducing the speed limit is not necessarily the answer. Not necessarily. And I use that word necessarily because sometimes the problem, particularly in between rural roads, is the roads themselves. We have mm. six foot of grass on either side of the road. Yeah. But we have eight foot to drive on, and if you come around the corner, and the Minister brought this up, and it's on today's paper, that if a person is walking along the road in rural Ireland, and they're going around the corner, and there's only eight foot of a a space to drive, that person driving has to pull out, but then he runs into... So why have the six foot of grass? Well, it's to do with with county councils, isn't it, really? An environment, yeah. I mean, uh, simple thing, I think, just Frank brought up yesterday with you about the farmers cutting the trees. I'm a farmer and I cut my trees. Okay, fair enough, I cut my five o'clock in the morning because there's no one around. But people should be responsible enough to cut the trees. I wrote to the Minister of Agriculture last year in relation to this, and I got no answer, back. whereby I said... If the landowner doesn't cut the trees, be it that the farmer or forestry or whatever doesn't cut the trees and in particular farmers, that his single farm payment should be cut to that amount. The county council should be made. And under Act seventy of the of the Planning Act, uh uh, landowners are uh, responsible for yeah, putting the trees. Okay. And,
0: and the police get out. Yeah, I'll have to leave it there because I'm out of time, I'm afraid. Michael and Liam, great to talk to you both. Thanks Thank for joining you. us okay, this morning.
3: Good morning. Thank you. Bye, bye. Bye. bye bye. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry bye. in association with Slatteries of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slatteries Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie.
0: Welcome back to Tip Today. A public meeting will take place in Thurlis next week to discuss the inclusion of the Thurlis bypass on the National Development Plan. A midterm review in 2025 has sparked hopes of accelerating progress on the project. Local election candidate Dan Harty is organising this meeting. He joins me on the line now this morning. Dan, good morning.
6: Uh, Good morning to you, Alison, and uh, good morning to your listeners, and Happy New Year to everybody.
0: Happy New Year, Dan. And first of all, before we get to the meeting, congratulations on your selection for Sinn Féin running in the local elections this year in June, um, selected on December 18th. Um, A lot of people would say maybe it's it's a good year to be running with Sinn Féin. I mean, opinion polls are up. Uh, How are you looking forward to the local elections, first of all?
6: Um, yeah well first of all I suppose it's a great honour for myself and my family um, to go forward for the local elections this year um, I suppose a bit, we are riding high in the opinion polls but mm-hmm. I certainly won't be taking anything for granted and I won't my, myself personally uh, there's a lot of uh, hard work to do we have a lot of ground to cover um, it's great to be out I'm out the last couple of months talking to people on the ground there's a lot of People are coming back with a lot of issues, or taking public reps for people and that, and um, certainly be rolling my sleeves up and w- working very hard. I won't be taking anything for, for granted, Alison. Yeah,
0: and Deb, what are some of the main issues you're running on?
6: Um, I suppose I'm, I'm focused a lot on housing. I suppose people of my, my generation, a lot of people are locked out of home ownership in terms of um, affordable housing. A lot of housing is very unaffordable. Even for last night, for example, I was speaking to a gentleman and his his girlfriend and, and, and her husband are looking to move back to Turles. They're living up the country and they've been working very hard. Both of them are working um, for the last 20 years or so. Um, they're looking at houses around the Turles area and making bids on houses and they're just finding it nearly impossible um, to to have a bid accepted. There's there's a lot of competition in, in, in terms of housing there. Um, so there's a lack mm-hmm. of housing. There's also a lack of housing in terms of social housing. I was speaking to another um, lady just before Christmas there. She's living in a house, um, a council house. Um, she's uh, four kids living with her, uh, aged uh, 12 to about 26. Um, one of the the oldest of her children has grandchildren. They're also living in the house. Um, she has the grandchildren staying in the bed with her, um, and her partner has to sleep down on the couch. So there's a, there's a major overcrowding issue there in that house, and, yeah. and this is seen across the across the board. We need to we need to see a ramp up of of building in terms of social housing, in terms of affordable housing. And we need, we need a delivery on that. And I think, um, I know it's at government level and funding for, for local authorities and that is a big issue, but in terms of local authorities, I think local councillors can steer, can steer um, uh, the policy in that direction. And that's, that's something that would be key in, in terms of what I'd be looking to, to achieve.
0: Mm. When it comes to the thoroughness bypass issue then, Dan, yes. I mean, God knows we've been talking about this issue for a long, long time. Do you Absolutely. think we are any closer?
6: Um, look um it's 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 when it was announced i think the route was first announced in 2011 and there was great anticipation yeah. and hope i suppose in the town that, that that things would progress um it seems to have stalled over the years since and that's a great disappointment to people there's there's serious issues of course in Turles still in terms of the heavy goods vehicles and traffic that that are, that are in the town and it's a great danger to the public to cyclists to pedestrians and to the drivers and to, to the heavy goods uh, vehicle drivers themselves um, something needs to be done. Um, it's been mooted um, lately that there will be a re- review in 2025 of the National Development Plan. Mm. So look, I'm calling the public meeting, I suppose, um, in, it, in, it, to look at um, kind of putting together a campaign locally, a community campaign to try and get get the Hurtless the, the Her- the Hurlis uh, project um, put back on the National Development Plan. Um, there is Great competition, on that, of course, with other areas. But I have seen in other areas, for example, Tipperary town, and mm-hmm. also in Slane, where community-based campaigns um, have have worked. They've made the, publicised the, the the projects in their own areas a lot, and it has helped to um, to bring us to the attention of ministers and governments. So we're we're looking to, to make uh, Minister Eamon Ryan uh, aware that the people of Turles are are very much um, in need of this project. And the meeting itself, I'm inviting the other public reps to it as well. I'm inviting business people in Turlis and the, the public at large to come in and voice their opinions. Um, we're looking to give a kind of a, an update on where the situa- how the situation stands at the moment for people and looking for their input. And hopefully to put together maybe a committee or a
0: Oh, Dan, are you there? Oh, I think we might have lost Dan, have we? Uh we'll try and get him again, even though I know we only have about a minute or so left. Uh but we'll try and get him back just to make that point. Uh Emma's just trying to get him now. So if you want to add to the conversation this morning you can text us, oh eight three three double one double three double one. Or you can call us on eighteen hundred nine three eight double oh seven. Dan is back with us. Hi Dan. Sorry yeah, about
6: that. Sorry. Sorry, there I got cut off there. I'm not sure That's why. That's
0: okay. You were just telling us about uh, inviting local businesses and local reps yes. uh, to this meeting and, and, and what you're hoping to achieve from it.
6: Yeah, yeah. So just basically, I suppose we're looking um, to kind of set up a campaign group off the back of, of the meeting to try and um, press forward the, the case for the, the Turles bypass. And in an election year, we have local elections this year and a general election probably this later this year or mm. next year. Um, so it's a time when you have the years of ministers and you have the years of government and I think it's just it's a perfect opportunity with the with the midterm review of the development plan coming up as well to push the case forward for Carlos and it, it's look it's it's only a possibility that it will be included but I think it's um it's the responsibility of, 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 of people standing um to represent people to have the best case possible and um, put forward
0: yeah and Dan tell us about the detail when is this meeting taking place and where
6: um the meeting is on uh, the 11th of January which is next uh, Thursday at 8pm in Hayes Hotel in the Daven Room so everyone is invited along. I'll be um, publicising it online and I'll be calling around to business and stuff during the week to invite people as well so anyone that wants to come in and have their say or hear an update hopefully we'll have maps of the proposed route and stuff like that there if anyone wants further information on it or has any input to give they're more than welcome to come along on the night.
0: Okay Dan we'll be interested to talk to you maybe afterwards and see what the response yeah. is so we look forward to that. Thanks for joining Absolutely, us this morning.
6: Absolutely thanks for having me Alison, Alison all the best thank no you no problem
0: that's uh, Dan Harty, there Sinn Féin representative running in the local election for Sinn Féin in Thurlis, Um and also in relation to that meeting that's taking place if you missed that on at Hayes's Hotel uh, next Thursday January 11th at 8pm in
3: Hayes's Hotel we're back after this Welcome back to Tip Today. The phone lines
0: are open 1800 007 or you can text or WhatsApp oh eight three three double one double three double one. We got a lot of texts in this morning in relation to uh, driver behaviour and roads issues and I'll bring them to you uh, in this hour. But first of all, new research shows that Ireland had no excess deaths during the core pandemic years of 2020 to 2022. This research, published by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, shows that Ireland was one of nine OECD countries to avoid excess deaths during this period, registering the fourth lowest rate behind New Zealand, Iceland and Norway. Professor of Health Systems in the School of Nursing in DCU, Anthony Staines, joins me now. Anthony, good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: Good to talk to you this morning, Anthony. Thanks for joining us. I'm sure a lot of people, though, are very confused <coughs> by this report. So, first of all, what is the definition of excess deaths?
7: The de- uh, excess deaths is more deaths in a particular period of time than you expected for, based on the figures from some previous periods of time. And, you know, people are confused by it, including, unfortunately, uh, the Department of Health. Because if you took their press release at face value, what it would say was that COVID actually improved the health of the Irish population, which I think is something that people would find very hard to believe. I think they've just misunderstood what the report says. The report itself is a nice piece of work. You know, it's a very solid, substantial piece of work looking across all of Europe. Looking at death, death figures from a whole set of European countries to see what happens, and they they start by comparing the years 2015 to 2019 and the years 2020 to 2022, so the pre-COVID years and the the, the main years of the COVID pandemic so far. Right. So that that's their first question: is did did you have more people dying in those in that period? Uh, in the later period with COVID than you had in the earlier period because the assumption is you'd have roughly the same number of people dying and you had more people dying, far more people dying because of COVID mostly and there's a detailed explanation of why that is so. Then they they ask themselves a second question. The assumption that you can do this and that it makes sense is an assumption that the population hasn't changed. Mm. So if loads of people had left Ireland, the same number of deaths would be a much higher rate of deaths in 2021 to 2022. If the population had got older, you'd expect more deaths Mm. in 2020 to 2022. And the the correct analysis is to say the population in Ireland is getting older. And unlike a lot of European countries, where the population aged maybe t- 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, our population is getting older right now. So our, the, the number of older people in our population is rising fairly quickly. And that isn't true for many other European countries. Okay. So we have a very young population, but we're getting more and more older people. And because of that, you'd expect to see more deaths between 2015, between 2020, 2022, than between 2015 and 2019, just because the population is getting older.
2: Yeah. And that,
7: that argument's been raised previously by a number of people. And it's a perfectly sensible argument. And what the OECD did was they said, right, let's look at the actual figures. Let's look at how many older people there were in each country, how many younger people there were in each country, and let's look at the death rates in those people and see what happened. And that's where the figure that the department produced comes from.
0: It's very confusing. It feels a little bit like it's fluffing the figures, though, a little bit, especially when during the height of COVID, we were seeing daily reports up to over 100 people dying from COVID. So how could there not have been excess deaths during that period? It
7: is very confusing. And what you've got, what's missing from the department's press release, what they should have got in their press release is this. Across Europe, death rates have been falling fairly steadily for many, many years. I mean, death rates in Ireland have been falling since the 1960s. So since my childhood, death rates have fallen. And death rates fell quite significantly between 2015 and 2019 across Europe and in Ireland. What happened in 2020 was death rates went up. Without COVID, death rates would have kept going down. Right. They didn't. They went up. And they more or less stayed up. In Ireland, they went up in 2020. They dipped a little bit in 2021. And they went up further in 2022. And we don't know about 2023 yet, because it's only the 3rd of January.
2: Mm.
7: But what should have happened without COVID is our death rates would have continued to fall. And they have done that calculation. It's in the report. There's a whole chapter about it in the, the OECD report. And what that says is we had a lot of extra people died across Europe because of, because mainly because of COVID. There were also deaths, particularly in Southern Europe, because of very high summer temperatures in 2022. But it was mostly COVID.
0: Yeah.
7: And that's the impact of COVID. So all of, all of these are different ways of looking at the same question. And actually, they don't if you look at the order that countries come in, countries that had very high rates of excess deaths also had high death rates, also came out badly in the comparison of mortality rates over the years. Countries that had lower excess death rates, and we're one of those countries. we, We didn't do badly during COVID. We didn't do everything right. We didn't We we certainly made mistakes. We need to learn from those mistakes. So if we have another pandemic, or when we have another pandemic, we will do better.
0: But this report feels like a contradiction because even if you look at news headlines, I'm looking at one from February of last year where it says mm -hmm. Ireland's excess mortality rate now the fourth highest in Europe. There's also uh, newspaper headlines from that time that funerals were having to be delayed because of the increase in the number of deaths putting pressure on mortaries and funeral directors. So why is this report then such a contradiction?
7: It's It's a different way of looking at the same question. Okay. It's, it's, there's lots of different ways of looking at deaths. The most important one, from the for you know a healthcare point of view, is the actual number of deaths, and the actual number of deaths went up sharply. That's that's what drove everything else. But the population was getting older at the same time. The number of deaths was going to go up anyway, but the underlying death rate was falling. So there was more than one thing happening. And that's one of the reasons the stuff we do can be a bit tricky because there's many things happening at the same time. But the, the figures are pretty clear and the, the OECD report is clear. The press release is far from clear, but yeah. the report itself is quite clear that COVID had a very substantial negative impact. A lot of people died from COVID. A lot of people are still dying from COVID. Across Europe, and these are people who, without COVID, would have lived, would not have died. Now, obviously, everyone dies eventually. If you wait long enough, everybody dies. Mm. But COVID brought death, brought on death earlier, killed people who would otherwise have lived for many, many years in pretty good health, um, and had a huge impact on our population, on our health system. Now, the vaccinations have changed a lot. Vaccinations reduce the risk of death by a factor of about 10, which is huge. That, that's an enormous reduction in risk. So you're 10 times more likely to die from COVID if you're not vaccinated, roughly, than if you are vaccinated,
0: But now we're at the stage now, though, post-COVID, where there is a lot of suspicion being cast on vaccinations Mm. and maybe what may have been caused as a result of vaccinations. Uh, We know a lot of cases of myocarditis being blamed on on the vaccine itself. Mm.
7: Um, what, What we see with myocarditis is that, yes, the vaccine does cause myocarditis, but COVID causes myocarditis yeah. as well. Yeah. COVID causes a lot more myocarditis than the vaccine does. And it's inclined to be more severe. So people recover. People who've got vaccine myocarditis, which is a very rare complication, but it is a real complication. People who have had vaccine myocarditis almost always recover.
2: Mm.
7: People who get COVID myocarditis often recover, but not always. Yeah, so well, that's you know that, that's a trade off. It's a trade off we make with with vaccines. Most vaccines cause some kind of side effect. We use vaccines because the side effects are much less severe than the side effects of getting infected.
0: When, Anthony, will we become aware or will we have information in relation to mortality rates and death rates for 2023, which will be very interesting to look at um, to see mm-hmm. the effect that either COVID or vaccines have had on the health of the nation?
7: We have, we have quarterly deaths for, for the first part, the first half of 2023. I haven't looked at them, but they do exist. CSO will be producing a report on mortality, I would imagine. It's usually about the middle of the following year. Because it does take time. We, we have a death registration system, which is not great. So our death statistics are not wonderful because we, we didn't reform our death registration system very effectively. But it's a good indication of, what, of changes over time.
2: Mm.
7: So we should, we should have a good idea by the middle of this year. But you know, where COVID is not over. You go down, you go into any of your local hospitals and talk to them about COVID. There are wards full of people with COVID yeah. in most of the hospitals. There are people with COVID in the emergency departments. There are people with COVID working in, in the hospital. There are staff all sick because they have COVID. And one of the things I would question is this. WHO has strongly recommended that we should have universal masking in healthcare settings. And we don't. That's not a recommendation that the Irish government is bringing forward. But I think they probably should. Because there's just, there is a lot of COVID around the place. Yeah. A lot of people getting infected. And we, need, we all need to do what we can to reduce risks. And that means, means, in the first place, getting vaccinated. Because that really does work. It greatly reduces your risk of death then it means cleaning up the air. You know, we know how this virus spreads. It spreads through the air. And we've known that since probably May of 2020. It's been pretty certain that was how it spread. But we haven't acted on it. We haven't said, okay, that's fine. It spreads through the air. Bring in ventilation. Bring in air filtration. Bring in masking where we can't ventilate or filter the air.
0: Mm. We've, that's
7: that's where we should be at. We're seeing long. We're seeing a lot of cases, and we're seeing a lot of people with, you know, post-COVID symptoms with long COVID, which can be quite severe. Yeah, can be quite devastating for people.
0: We've also spoken to people on the show and people within the health service themselves mm-hmm. um, who have suspicions or worries about how either. They don't know which. Either COVID or the vaccine has seemed Mm. to play a role in cancer and the various Mm. cases of cancer that we're seeing in a lot of people since COVID, which is very fast, very aggressive cancers. Can we attribute anything um, from those cases to either COVID or vaccinations?
7: There's no evidence at the moment that vaccination has anything to do with cancer. We know that COVID suppresses your immune system quite significantly. And your immune system is one of the things that controls the speed of the spread of cancer. Okay. But I'm not aware of any, I'm not aware that COVID itself causes cancer in any way.
0: Okay. So it could be down to, to maybe the the effect it has on the immune system itself.
7: It could be, but I don't yeah. know. I just don't, plain don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't know whether it, it has any impact at all. Uh, there, there's a lot of conversations on social media about it, but there's not a lot of evidence
0: yeah.
7: about it. And when you try to track down case stories, you know what, what you find what's happening is that anyone who dies suddenly, the vaccine is blamed. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, there's, there's a fair number of people on social media who are really causing a lot of distress by claiming that vaccines have caused individual-named deaths of individual people. People die, do die suddenly. People have always died suddenly. But you don't want to find... So if you're dealing with the grief and the loss of the completely unexpected death, say, of a member of your family, you don't want to find a herd of anti-vaxxers jumping up and down on social media saying, Is the vaccine, is the vaccine, if you didn't have them vaccinated, this wouldn't have happened. There isn't any evidence that that's true. We've we've had this before. We've had this with other vaccines. You, you may or may not remember the measles and autism yeah. work. Uh, there's huge work showing that measles vaccination has nothing to do with autism. Yeah. But a lot of people still didn't get measles vaccination, and a significant number of them died. If you, There's a case study from Samoa where an anti-vax group moved in. People stopped getting vaccinated against measles and there was a disaster because measles is a serious, serious illness in small children. COVID is a serious, serious illness in adults and children and everybody else. So we, we use what protections we can against it. Yeah. And the evidence is pretty clear. These vaccines have been extensively studied there are large-scale, there are large-scale clinical trials. There are also large-scale, what they call post-marketing surveillance. So you you look to see are there side effects. But no, the, there's been no long-term study
0: done on the vaccine. So to be fair, but the
7: fact that COVID has only been with us since the very end of 2019 in China. Yeah. So you can only study. You know, you, if you got a new virus, you can only study it for as long as it's been around. Unless yeah. you have a time machine. So there are, we we did have extensive studies of side effects of, vaccina- of COVID vaccination. That's how we identified myocarditis. That was that was found because we looked for we looked for side effects of vaccination, and myocarditis popped up. Yeah. So. And that's how we, we know what it's like. We know that it's we know that in the overwhelming majority of cases, it's mild. And it's self-limiting.
2: Yeah. We
7: also know, because we've looked very carefully, that COVID itself causes myocarditis, which is sometimes not at all mild and not at all self-limiting mm. and can be very, very, very nasty. Okay. That, that's, that, that's, that is the reality.
0: Yeah. And we've the, studied
7: what can be studied.
0: So you would be advocating then the return of mask wearing in health settings?
7: In healthcare settings, yes. I think yeah. at the moment, yes, I would, because the, the prevalence of this disease is very high and it's probably rising. Uh, you know, the, the UK data says that it's going up and we tend to track the UK pretty closely. We don't have good Irish data, but certainly the number in hospital is significant. Um, and we, it makes sense to do what we can to reduce those numbers. Yeah. Because remember if you're if you're working in hospital, if you're a nurse working in hospital and you get COVID and you're out sick for however long, who's going to look after the patients you're looking after? Because yeah. they're still there. You're sick, you're not able to look after them. You may need to be looked after yourself. So it's it's really imperative to you know, keep our healthcare staff healthy. Okay. And it's imperative to keep our hospitals safe places.
0: For patients. For patients. Yeah. Anthony, and um, we'll have to leave it there for this morning. Thank you so much for joining us thanks today.
7: Thanks indeed. Take care That's, now. Uh, bye Anthony bye.
0: Staines their Professor of Health Systems in the School of Nursing in DCU. Some reaction to that. Pat's on the line. Pat, stay with us. We'll be back after this
3: Welcome back to Tip Today.
0: In relation to our interview with uh, Anthony Staines, uh, Brian says he's bluffing to cover up the mess that the government policy made of this. Studies carried out in Australia, New Zealand, Israel, Malaysia on adverse effects of the vaccine have been conclusively proven to be more detrimental numerically than the effects of COVID infection. The government brought in the vaccines under contract and have to justify it. They definitely won't admit to adverse effects because the litigation floodgates will open. Time will tell. Also, Moritz says, why are so many people get getting COVID now if they are fully vaccinated? Why are people getting sick and dying after vaccination? Another listener says on RIP.ie, it says different if you look at the numbers from the years previously to 2020. Yeah, I'm still not that clear. I know he explained to me twice um, why that OECD report shows that there was no um, excess deaths or excess mortality from COVID, but I can't see how that's the case. Pat joins me on the line now. Pat, good morning. I know you've been waiting very patiently.
4: No problem at all, Ali. Good morning to you and a happy new year to
0: you. Happy new year to you. What do you make of this? Do you believe this report that there were no excess deaths here during the pandemic?
4: Very hard to believe it, um, Ali, because... um, Statistics and statistics and down lies, you don't know what's happened. Um, as regards, Um I have heard of a good few people that have died because of COVID. And mm. uh, that was only just in my circle. Um, I, I, I just can't believe that, that they're coming out and, state and stating that there was no adverse effects or no adverse deaths because of COVID. Um uh, we, we heard about the people that were dying inside. Even there was an uh, 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 what do you call it a uh, program on RTE there one time uh, about the mental hospital that were inside and uh, the people that were suffering from from COVID and had eventually died from it. You know there was deaths from it. You know we don't have the figures, funny enough. And I, I do believe that even listening to Anthony there when he stated that that, that the Irish don't have that many figures. Um, you know that they, they, they didn't. Get the figures of whatever the case may be. So, where are these figures coming exactly. out? Exactly.
0: Yeah. How can you conclusively say that there were no excess deaths if we don't have very clear figures to begin with?
4: Yeah, that's this is this is the kind of the thing that that um, you know, is, a, is it a whitewash or what? I don't know. Now, I'm not part of the conspiracy theorist, good, bad, not indifferent. Uh, when COVID came here to, into Ireland, I, what I did was I just believed in science because science is there uh, to look at these things and to, okay, we. we we were new to this, this thing, as he said himself. It was in China, in late 2019. Mm. You know, you've often heard of a few people that were sick at Christmas. Absolutely, I was. I'm
0: telling. I am convinced I had it in 29, in December 2019. In the same,
4: I had a very bad uh, flu around about November, December of 2019, yep. and um, it was it was bad. You know, whether that gave me an immunity towards the COVID, I'm not quite sure. Because uh, I did, you when know, the vaccines came out, I, I volunteered straight away. I wanted the vaccine and I even stated to be able to book it into me. You know, <laughs> I did just because I wanted to get uh, uh, COVID because of the scares that were out there. And
1: yeah. Looking at,
4: at at different newspaper headings and uh, I subscribed to the New York Times and, and, and they were uh, really, really coming in in, in in early 2020 and going through 2020 and they were putting up the amount of deaths in the United States. Sure, remember, Pat, remember
0: the the photos we saw from Italy of body bags piled high behind a hospital. I remember that very clearly.
4: Very clearly. And this is the thing that scared everyone. Yeah. And if you look at it, it's some of the the, the American channels like CNN and those and and the body bags be brought out into into refrigerated trucks. There just isn't enough to, to hold them. You know, now, Looking at the figures, as how one other aspect of it is, is how did the government behave during COVID, uh, were well, we protected mm. by legislation, or whatever the case would be, or, 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 or um, were well, we protected by the fact that we were all t- told to stay in, not travelling, whatever the case would be, uh, we have to mask up, uh, and, and, and suddenly there was no flu, being seen now. people were saying, cutting there's no flu, yeah. um, you Now the masks do help. Now, Right, if you look at, at what happened in America when we had a buffoon of a president over there, he was he was just ignored. Take detail or domestic or whatever it was, it into your system. You do the that over in, 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 in the UK, Johnson.
2: Yeah.
4: Not taking COVID into the uh, uh, respectively and you know, until suddenly he got it himself. Yeah and he was shifted into the hospital. You know, um I got COVID. I got it once. Um, but it was very mild because I, I took the vaccines. I have at I least seven vaccines safely so far with no adverse effect of, of COVID. Now I am, but, um, how would I put it in a situation that, that I have diabetes, right? So I could be susceptible to, I, I was always susceptible to, to flus and things like that yeah. that would go around. But then when I started taking the flu injection, uh, any time I did get a flu, it could be just, you know, maybe two days, three days and over and out of it, over and done with. Uh, but I got, I uh, got, um, the, the COVID, and uh, it was only di- diagnosed because I was hoarse, and it, it, actually the hoarseness was a different infection altogether. When the, my doctor uh, prescribed antibiotics just for the hoarseness.
2: Mm.
4: It's hoarse, and I we, we checked to see if I had COVID, and I had COVID. So I isolated for the, the five days, but I had no adverse effect. Once I took the antibiotics, my throat started to clear, and I didn't even know I had COVID. So, I don't know. Now it turns out that I have, the, there was some uh, statistics out there that there's 700 uh, reported cases last week of, of COVID in Ireland. With this new JN1 strain or whatever it is, it a mutated into different strains. Yeah. And uh, again, the science has to come in because they have to look at the, the, the present vaccines that are out there. And do they cover that particular strain? Or is this a new strain now that is mutated into a different strain? and the am Yeah, you Yeah. Know? Pat, you were no. saying
0: that you, you followed the science and you trusted the science during the whole yes. um, COVID pandemic that yes. led to your decision to to have all your vaccinations but did it ever frustrate you the way that the science was constantly changing? Like when the, the vaccine first came out we were told if you get the vaccine you won't be able to give it to anybody else and then it was, oh no you will be able to give it to somebody else but you won't be that adversely affected and then figures came out from hospitals saying most of the people who had been hospitalised were vaccinated so that kind of kiboshed that argument. So the science was changing all the time. Did that make well, you mistrustful?
4: No, I, I put it this way you. Uh, and, and Anthony there said it. that when uh, COVID came into China in 2019 nobody knew that this thing was around because China was trying to suppress it. Mm. And then suddenly then people started to travel around the world. And, uh, and as you said there, it italy it kind of in, in yeah. early 2020. We were talking about Italy and the people coming there. Was a, there was a rugby match or something on the same time. That's and right. The said we should stop the the rugby match and people travelling over and back because of the amount of of, of deaths in in Italy. Now, the, the only thing about it was that they had to try and bring in a vaccine. So all the companies came together and they brought in it brought in an, a vaccine. And I think it brought in. We walked. They tested the population. You see, the see, does I think stuff does. But. Uh, then there were different types of vaccines. You had the Moderna, you had the Pfizer and whatever else you had. And people then were saying, oh, God, I got the Moderna, but I, I just felt bad after it. I don't like it. And the, the other conspiracy theorists then were saying, oh, Moderna will kill you, you mm-hmm. know. But then when Pfizer came in, everyone said Pfizer was great. Then they were saying, oh, Pfizer could kill you too. You know, so I, I, look, at the, 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 the science was evolving as fast as the COVID was evolving. You know, because we suddenly had a pandemic which was a very, very serious pandemic, and we had to try and curtail it, and they had to manufacture a vaccine for it. So, uh, I think that that look, I think that in fairness to the companies and in fairness to the scientists, like they got it right. But the only we're, we're talking now four years afterwards. This yeah. is five years. This is the fifth year into it now. We're talking four years afterwards, and we we did get the vaccine. As I said, I've taken it. The seventh one taken. they get the spring booster or the winter booster or whatever it is, and I don't suffer from COVID. I did not have it and I don't have it. But at the same time that we're out in the population that they have during the Christmas, we just take for example crowded shopping centres, crowded streets, you know, and if it travels through the air, like uh, we should be picking up the COVID again. Maybe we should be masking. Definitely I would would, uh, uh, say that the people that are in the the HSE, and not in the HSC, we'll just say the health environment, that nurses and doctors, they should uh, use uh, have their masks on at all times, because you don't know what's going to come in the door. Yeah, And there's no point in a the doctor then treating 20 patients afterwards and finding these after transmitting 20 cases of, vi- of, of the virus to, to those of 10 or 5 or whatever the case may be. You know,
0: yeah. Pat, so. can I ask, I think one of the, the saddest indictments of what happened during COVID was the division in people and people were asked very openly, are you vaccinated, are you not vaccinated? And people who weren't vaccinated were treated, it has to be said appallingly. They made a decision for themselves and for their health that they didn't want, they didn't trust this vaccine, they didn't want to take it and because of that they were completely vilified in society. When we look back at that now, three, four years later, how do you feel about that? That that division that was created among society.
4: Well, I'll put it this way: to you early 2020, uh, hindsight is 2020 vision. Yeah, you know, and like if 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 I've known people that didn't take the vaccine and wouldn't take the vaccine, and I was surprised, at them, right? That they, they stated that that was their that was their line. They just would not put a foreign body into their into their own body or a foreign chemical into their own body, and they prefer to take the the ch- their chances with COVID. Now, these are Young
2: people, mm. you know,
4: older people uh, like myself, we kind of trusted the science that they might move on because we'll, we need we're always hospitals or whatever the case may be, are used to that environment, right? Young people don't want a foreign body inside themselves, but at the same time, I would stand back from you, you know, because of the threat that they are not vaccinated, so that the chances are there could be carriers of the covert, you know, mm. and and maybe I um, could spread it. Now, I'm not saying that that happened. I'm just saying that was my talk yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when somebody would say that they weren't vaccinated. And I remember, too, when you're going to your house in, in, in a different town or city and you want to go for a bit of food, yeah. the first thing you have to do is produce your certificate. Yeah. Right? Now, I, I have never heard of anyone that didn't have a certificate was refused. But at the same time, they were asked for the certificate. So I presume they did refuse people going in if they didn't get a certificate.
0: I yeah. don't know. I, I would that. assume so. Yeah. Sorry? I would assume that they would have been refused. I would, I would say myself as well. Yeah. But the, the thing about it was, it was
4: a this was a, a complete different type of environment we were in. Imagine lockdown, cars couldn't travel, you know. Yeah. And suddenly the roads was. It was I'm living, i won't on the side of the road, but uh, near enough to the main road. And the the, the quietness of no vehicles travelling, it was just unreal, it was surreal.
0: Yeah, it was like it? the end of the world, Pat, wasn't it? It was like the end of the world, and. And, and that is where I said
4: that, that when the anti-vaxxers came out and they were spreading all sorts of, of, of misinformation out there, like, it, it was, it, that was surreal as well, because now you if you were anyway susceptible to, to, to um, or could be in a situation that you will believe these people, because of the conspiracy theorists they were putting up and the, the false information they were putting up, people didn't know what to do.
2: Mm.
4: They didn't know whether to turn left or right. You know, it's like coming up to a crossroads with a finger post, and it's pointing to the same place in two different directions. Which way do I go? It's yeah. a
0: chance. But then at the same time, I think anyone who did have concerns about the vaccine, they were immediately branded conspiracy theorists. And as we've seen now from studies that are coming out in recent months, a lot of their arguments and a lot of their fears ha- are founded.
4: Yeah, okay. Okay, maybe. I, I, I'm I, not aware of, 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 of that you now, that, that their fears were... were you know, that they were, they could have been genuine fears. Maybe they were, you know. But if you look at it this way, China, I was just looking at a figure the other day, and it was amazing. Uh, those, that the amount of deaths of population, you know, the, their population. Mm. And China was one of the lowest. Now, I know that the highest population, and it's also a, a, a huge country, you know. So, like, that, that China, when you look at China, and come and, in and comparison, say, to Europe, right, they must have curtailed, the traveling. They did what they did is they isolated the towns. Yes. I do it inside in China. Yeah. And because uh, I have a couple of friends out there, they did actually close down the towns completely, that there was a virus inside. It. And they went out and they sprayed all the streets. Right. Hmm. The this team was out to try and curtail it. And people were, were kept inside in their homes. And anyone that was that, that was out of the streets was cut were, were arrested and put into a kind of like a sanatorium. That's
0: right. Yeah. So you
4: know this is how they curtailed it in China but it had one of the lowest death rates per population.
8: But the other had... one
4: was, was, was um, there was another, 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 I can't remember what the country was, but it was a 12-world country. That it is as well. Now, maybe you don't have statistics there. Yeah. But one of the highest was, was Britain, and one of the other highest was America, USA. And that's because of two buffoons. You know, there were... Yeah. There were Managing the
0: country, you know. But um, it just makes you, like this new report, I think, would make everyone question, what can we believe? And what figures and what reports can we believe? I mean, we were getting daily updates of of hundreds of people, in in some cases over 100, dying each day from COVID. And then they can yes. come out with a report and say, no, there was no excess deaths, everything was fine.
3: And no, even well at the well time,
0: well. the COVID figures themselves couldn't be trusted because dying with COVID and dying of COVID were two very different things.
4: But two very different things, and 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 the thing about it is, Eddie, as well, if you look at it, that if, if a person was an older person inside in hospital and died, the mm. first thing they'll say is the died of COVID, yeah, because there was there was there was a, 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 a inside nursing homes, they died because of COVID. Now those people were were elderly, and it an awful uh, thing to think that you couldn't visit your elderly. Relative inside a, a nursing home, or whatever the case may be, and suddenly you get notification that their, their relative has died, and the first thing to put down to was COVID. Maybe the chances that that person was was not well anywhere yeah. and could die. Yeah. You know, um, you now I've I, I often heard of, of and, and, and in our own locality uh, a few people have died because of, of cancer and because of of heart failure or whatever the case may be. Now, if COVID was around,
0: would they be? Would that be those deaths be attributed to? They would. The days of COVID? Yeah, they would. And I, I have personal experience that we had a family member who died during COVID, um, died of cancer, um, but they mm. had tested positive in the days just before they died. Now, the death wasn't at all because of COVID. They were expected to die mm. anyway, but that death was put down as COVID death, right, and that that right. wasn't and that wasn't the case. So, I, I do have personal experience of that. That did happen.
4: Mm, mm, mm. I guess what I'm saying is that It just that makes, it, makes you question have, it, doesn't it? Sorry?
0: It does make you question it.
4: It makes you question it. You know, so like if that was the situation... Then just take, for example, the, 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 there was a was rife around for some of the, of the um, nursing homes and uh, the environment that they were uh, that those people were in because, number one, they were old. Number two, they were probably their autoimmune system was not shot anyway. Uh, because of the fact that they were indoor all the time, there was no fresh air. Yeah, uh, you no how you, you, you keep a place nice and warm, when there's, especially when there's an old person inside the premises, and uh, that, that would be propagating uh,
2: mm-hmm. the
4: likes of COVID to, to pass freely among among uh, the, the population inside of them. And then, if you had uh, illnesses, like as we were mentioned there a few minutes ago, like if you had a, a, a kind of co- uh, cancer, yeah, uh, that type of thing. That if you die, you're put down to a COVID death you know, and uh coffins were closed, people couldn't see the the, the, the yeah. remains when they go to a wake or whatever the things to be. It, it was frightening it and, was. and like, like people, any older person out there, they were absolutely scared to death over over COVID. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But now I think we've very, very complacent. Like you now, when you, when you see a person on the street or see a person inside in the shop with a, a mask on, they look you look at them twice and you you, you know it, it is before everyone had masks, so we didn't mind. Yeah. the one that didn't have the mask inside when this prevalent around the country, that you looked at them the second time and you said, why were not you masked up, yeah. you know? Or you'd walk away from it. Now when you see a person walking down the street and they have a mask on, obviously they're trying to protect themselves from whatever it is that's out there, COVID or flu or whatever, and you look at them and you say
0: they're, they're
4: standing out like a sore tongue mm. you know it's just yeah. nearly four years after a major
0: pandemic I know you it's know? strange yeah it's strange to, to see where we've come from Pat I'll have to leave it there I'm afraid we're out of time but great to talk to you this morning
5: thank you Ali. all bye the bye best
0: guys. thanks Pat
5: if it matters
8: to you it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007.
0: Welcome back to Tip Today. Big reaction from listeners on that item about COVID deaths and the fact that this new report shows that there were no excess deaths during the uh, the main period during COVID-2022. 2020 A listener says, I got one injection in 2020 in Limerick. They said I was allergic to it. The one I got was Johnson & Johnson. My doctor wouldn't look at me. I was never called again. Terrible system. They let all the old people. Die in homes as they didn't care, and it's still going on. That's from one listener. Another listener says, coming from a hospital workplace, every COVID death had to be reported to a certain phone number in Dublin. So I don't understand why they have no figures. Uh, Brian says. It was complete sensationalism by the media that were showing body bags all over the world. A media factory was established worldwide to whip up hysteria. Governments had to justify handing blank check contracts to pharmaceutical companies in order to bring vaccines to the market. Treatments such as ivermectin were available but would not make millions for drug companies as they were out of patent. I'm amazed that people like Pat remain so naive about COVID, its origins and his lack of knowledge on adverse effects of the vaccine, which is very Verified information freely available now. Uh, Another listener says, my daughter-in-law had COVID in December of 2019. So the WHO did know about it, but brushed it under the mat again. That's from Molly. Yeah, Pat said that. And I I am convinced I had COVID in December of 2019. uh, And so did my house out. The whole house got it. And I'm convinced that's what it was. Another listener says, do you remember when the schools opened after COVID and the windows had to be left open? Oh my God, yeah. And the children freezing. And then when the heating has gone in the schools, the school is closed because it's too cold. That's from one listener. Steve joins me on the line. Hiya, Steve. Hi, hi, Ali. Good to talk to you this morning, Steve. I only have a few minutes before news, but tell me, what's your, your take on this and this report on excess deaths? Were you surprised to hear that there were no excess deaths in Ireland during COVID?
8: Well, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Every day back in COVID, the hype, hype, hype over every death that was called a COVID death and was it actually a flu death any other year. And here now we find there's no extra death at all.
0: It makes you wonder, I mean, what can you trust then? I mean, were we are we being lied to in this report or were we being lied to during COVID? I think we're
8: just being lied to all the time. Do you think so? Well, COVID especially, and now the cover up. And then Anthony Staines mantra, I it's the first day in my life I felt sorry for politicians because they were listening to fellas like that.
0: So what what do you think we we take from it then?
8: It was a big money racket.
0: The whole thing?
8: The whole thing. The whole thing. Like, even now, people people now are, I know people that are in hospital uh, in the last couple of months, and oh, it's COVID, COVID you have. But like, if it was 10 years ago, they would have said, oh, they have a terrible flu.
0: Or a virus.
8: Or a virus. Can they actually tell the difference between COVID, this respiratory illness, that respiratory illness? Is it just fashion? Is That's, it just hype?
0: Yeah, it's a good point actually, because unless you have something on a slide and you're analysing it, how can you know for definite if it's COVID or not?
8: Is it just because there's so many of those little plastic testy things out there, and that we're using them up, mm. and they say COVID?
0: It just it makes you question. I mean, what what we can believe, doesn't it? It does it make you question everything now?
8: Well, uh, I, I fell for it hook, line and sinker for the first couple of weeks as well.
0: But should we all did?
8: You know, I, I, and but I, I've been questioning it since, since um, I think, April of uh, 2020. But I fell for it completely before that.
0: And what was making and, you question it?
8: Just when they, when they would be there. Uh, the, the news was telling people, um, if you think you have COVID, stay at home until it's very bad. And then you can go to the hospital and we'll put you on a ventilator until you're dead. And then the news was saying so many people died of COVID. But they didn't say how many extra people died. Because mm. the year previously, the exact same numbers were dying of the flu. The flu is what gets us all
0: when we're that age. Yeah. Or pneumonia brought on,
8: on by pneumonia. the flu. Yeah. Or the flu or respiratory illness. that or, uh, that accounts for half of us, like, uh, uh, and it's half attacks tax for the rest of us, I suppose. Or uh, cancer now.
0: Well, we're being promised that there there is going to be a review at some stage this year into the whole COVID pandemic and how the government reacted to it and their response to it and if it was adequate or if it was appropriate. Do you think, though, I mean, we're already questioning what we were told during that time. Do you think any inquiry is going to, I suppose, heighten that level of mistrust and suspicion among people?
8: I think think people need to have a heightened level of mistrust. How on earth is there people like Pat there still believing it all? That the man, Anthony Staines, he contradicted himself mid sentence there three or four times when you were talking to him and still pushing that all masks and everything is great.
2: Yeah.
8: When none of it works, none of it did anything. It was all a wreck.
0: Well, they will still keep with the line that the, the reason that they claim the deaths were kept so low, according to this OECD report, was because of the high level of vaccine take-up in this country.
8: Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Like All the people that didn't take the vaccine, how are they doing compared to all the people that took every vaccine?
0: Yeah.
8: I'd say a lot of them have a whole lot less cancer.
0: It would be an interesting study to look at, wouldn't it?
8: It's really worse. Yeah. Some, some actual, real, honest numbers.
0: Yeah. Steve, I'll have to leave it there. I'm out of time, but great to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much. Thank you, Alison. The best. Brilliant show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. You can keep those texts coming in to us. Uh, we're getting a lot of response to it. I'll bring it to you after 11, but keep them coming in. 083
3: News is next. Tip today. With Fran Curry, with Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or Slattery's Garage.ie. To today. The phone lines are open. 007 or you can
0: text or WhatsApp oh eight three three double one double three double one. Just a reminder, Alton will be with us just before the end of the show, twelve o'clock today. He'll be with us around 20 to quarter to 12. So if you have any questions for Alton, you can log them with us now. Uh, You can also email them in as well if that's easier for you. Tip today at tipfm.com. In relation to what we were discussing in the last hour, we had um, Anthony Staines on discussing this OECD report that there were no excess deaths reported in Ireland uh, during the peak time of COVID. And he was trying to explain what that was and, and, and the reasons for that. And essentially, it's if I was to understand him properly, it's because of the ageing population, the changes in the population. So when you compare that to the level of deaths for that time, there was no um, major increase in excess deaths in this country which I find very confusing and going by the text machine today listeners find it very confusing as well. Brian said we need to question everything don't believe the media hype, don't believe the government who are being steered by people like Mr Staines and others who are steered by pharmaceutical companies it's the old adage, follow the money another listener says the government always lies, here's the evidence of government lies about the pub fire in Ringsend in Dublin yeah, that's that's a crazy story and we will come to that at some stage this week. A uh, listener says planning permission is needed to change the building from pub use to make it a homeless shelter. No planning permission is needed to change it for migrant use. There's no planning permission for a homeless shelter use. Therefore, the government were always planning to use it for migrants. We will return to that topic uh, another day, but uh, I understand what you're saying by that. Thanks for that. Uh, another listener says, I do believe COVID was real, but the fear of God was put into many of us. Our children are to be prayed Never before were children asked to homeschool. I used to tell our four that they'd be written about in history books. They had to stay home and learn from parents already under severe pressure. They had to stay away from grandparents and not mix amongst themselves. That's from Noreen. Oh, at Merrill Hill, Open Farm. How are you, Noreen? Great to hear from you. Thanks for texting the show. I mean, it's only now and, and talking to, to Pat and talking to Ray earlier this morning, when you think back on what we had to live through during that time. And even one listener was saying about children going to school and having their coats on because all the windows had to be open. It's crazy. It's crazy what we what we went through and, and what we got through. Pat is on the line. He joins me now. Hiya, Pat.
9: Morning, Alison. Happy New Year to you and the staff at the Tip <laughs> and all of
0: and to you too, Pat, great to talk to you this morning. Happy New Year to you. Tell me, what, what do you make of this? It's a strange report to say that there were no excess excess deaths here during COVID. It's like, it's like being in Dallas and we woke up and it was all a dream and it never really happened at all.
9: Now, I'm surprised that Anthony Staines because Anthony has been on your show several times and he's yeah. come across as honest and open and very transparent. And I was very surprised for him to come out with this this morning. And I know uh, you probably know it as well, and all the listeners, there's a major cover up there because there's supposed to be inquiries into excess death in nursing homes and all that. Mm. And we're hearing about all these inquiries. So if these inquiries are supposedly to go on, but we know with all the inquiries in this country, uh, nobody is held responsible, and it's just a a ticking box. Uh, We have the inquiry. Facts come out; nobody gets sacked, and that's the way. But the Irish people put up with that type of a system, and that's what's wrong. Now, where I have a problem with this day one, this whole COVID thing is, we have never been told, uh, in fact, how this originated. And I believe that the certain people, and as you said there early, followed the money. The certain people gained out of this, and even uh, even down to the nine euro meal, when that came out, straight up. I said there's a politician in a certain part of the country where there's a lovely pub down the road and he can go for his free meal every day as long as he can get this nine-euro meal across the, the line. The whole lot stinks from top to bottom. And what I feel sorry for, and I want to uh, cover this in the most sensitive way, is the people that uh, were, were mistreated in nursing homes and yeah. not proper procedures put in place and these people have lost lives over. So this whole thing with Anthony Staines is coming across in a very insensitive way this morning, and total disrespect for the, the people that have lost loved ones due to this COVID. This is not a. This is not a cover up, and it should not be a cover up, and it should not be handled in the way Anthony Staines handled this morning. is a major cover up for all the people that financially gained out of this. And this is all about finance. This is all about pharma companies making record profits, and this is what this country is all about. And when I said to you, these politicians, we have idiots running the country, we have people sitting at at tables with these pharma companies, and they're basically a blank check there, and you can do what you like, lads, and we'll make sure we roll out COVID, we roll out everything, and we'll make sure you have high profits. You look at even Aircom now, uh, they privatise Aircom. There's 10 million going out of this country every year to France due to that. This is the type of politics that the Irish people are expected to put up with with these people. And it's obvious. There's brown envelopes right across the board. And I know you don't like to talk about this corruption, but it's 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 obvious with this COVID thing that they have no respect whatsoever for young or old. It's a, I often said it, it's an awful country to grow old in because the politics of this country have no respect whatsoever for the people, the vulnerable people in our society, the people that contributed so much to this country and worked so hard, and this is the way they are treated. But at least I am very surprised, and I'm shocked with what came out of him this morning.
0: I was surprised with um, his comments on myocarditis, I have to say, because there is a lot of studies that have been done since, particularly on the effects of... Now, I have to be clear, it's not conclusive whether myocarditis was caused by COVID or by the vaccine. But a lot of young men in their late teens, early 20s have been severely affected by myocarditis and some have even died as a result of that. So I, I thought he brushed over that very quickly.
9: Like, it's obvious, and as I said, I had the utmost of regard for Anthony up to this morning, and I'm very surprised. But it's obvious, like, that Anthony has a job to do and he's been encouraged by certain people. You do it that way. And that's the way the politics is in this country as well. If you don't toe the line and you don't lick and you don't bow in a certain way, you'll be shoved out of politics. Politics won't work for you in this country. Politics is basically you... Uh, you're a, um, a person there to carry out these tasks. And Anthony, is obvious this morning, he was given an nun to Maze. And you go and sell this and tell the people there was nothing about, wrong with this. And you're in a job and you're there for the rest of your days. And it's the same with UL. There's people in UL and like you're on your show on fair play to your show. You're covering the problems, but nobody is listening. There's basically issues there. And it's the same as RT. There's people in there They shouldn't be in positions. It's jobs for the boys. You you get away with doing nothing. And uh, this is what this country and the Irish people will actually put up with that. The Irish people will listen to your excuses and will put up with this kind of behaviour. But the Irish people are wrong. As I said, the system is there to be played, and by our they
1: playing it.
0: I have to say to you, and I have to defend Anthony Staines, because as he's been on the show many times, and he's he's a pleasure to deal with, I have to say. Um, very knowledgeable man. So I, I don't want to be down on him too much. I have great respect for him, great time for him. But, you know, this is a man who, you know, maybe he, he's better educated on this maybe than than certainly than I am and that a lot of other people are. So maybe, you know, should we believe him in this? I mean, maybe he's right in this. Maybe we're wrong.
9: Maybe he is, but like where I'm going on is the media and we hear from the media the amount of fatalities in nursing homes and we hear all this. We cannot ignore any of this. And like, in fairness, you're saying there maybe there is, but we need to get this knowledge there. I said this the last time I was on, even in regards to, you know, the migrant centres and all. We need to be educated. We need to get this information. So if there's something there that Anthony Staines is working on, we need to see this. But the information we have been given up to now is all pointing in the other direction. It's all pointing towards pharma companies and it's all pointing towards this. And as I said to you there earlier, we have still not. Got a fact of where this virus originated in, and why? As you, as as you, as Pat said there earlier. When things were happening in Japan, it was contained within Japan. In China? Or China. I expected when the word of this virus got out that was in a certain lab in a certain country, that should have been contained within that country. Mm. The same as we had with the foot and uh, mouth disease and all that in this country. This should never have got to Europe, any part of Europe. We were basically nilly-dilly on the airlines of people flying in and out of the country. There was people going to large gatherings the public health thing was not adhered to. So the way they handled this uh, throughout the whole COVID, um, there's an awful lot of questions to be answered.
0: So if we're to have a review then, and the government have promised a review at some stage this year, do you think part of that review should focus on who benefited during COVID?
9: I think the review and any review that ever happens in this country is how can we gently... Uh, rub over this and nobody is held accountable and we all have a nice easy day and everything goes on. That's what the review. And when I hear this terms of reference, uh, this, in other words, you can't talk about this, that, or the other, because this will really bring out the truth. We're going to set a terms of reference, and this is the only thing you can talk about. So this will make the job for us a bit easier to cover it over. Nobody is held responsible, and everything goes on. This is the whole nuts and bolts of this country: is nobody is ever held responsible. And as I said, um, you're in just people in jobs because of who they are rather than what they are and what they have to offer.
0: Yeah, um, I just reading a text there, a listener says, uh, that man on the radio, which is you, Pat, talking about myocarditis, controlling political system, COVID propaganda, uh, killing our elderly in nursing homes, all true. Pharma and big corporations are buying off our politicians. They are traitors to the Irish people. Get them all out. That's from one listener. Are you afraid that, that this report... I think maybe, and this is only my own assumption, that it was written to try and um, reassure people in this country maybe that, that COVID wasn't as bad as it was. But all it seems to have done, particularly among listeners to Tip Today, has created a huge level of mistrust and suspicion among people that were not being told the truth.
9: We're not, like, and as I said, throughout the whole lot, like, as I said, there's no consultation even in this refugee team. Uh, people in the UHL in Limerick, you're highlighting on your show about the overcrowding, the people on trolleys, it's not being addressed. So people are, there's no inter- proper interaction with our political system and the people on the ground are affected with issues. When you have issues there, you should be able to go to your politician. These issues should be addressed. And like um, there was politicians often on your show and they were in and out of UL every single day or every week and whatever. They're not uh, coming to the uh, fore at all because this has come to a head. Um, And like, as I said, um, it's down to the management and the whole lot within Limerick there, a lot of the issues and seemingly this management thing has not been dealt with. Uh, There's also issues there with ambulances being held up Mm. because they can't discharge people out of the ambulance unless they're put into some type of uh, super... somebody to look after them. So there's ambulances being held up as well that should be... Going to other situations. There's an awful lot that's not happening uh, properly in Limerick, and it looks like we need to have an overall thing. But, like, if Connor was on there earlier, and they have boards or they have uh, organizations they're trying to deal with these. But, like, um, uh, with respect to Connor, like, these people, Connor and Co, are not being listened to. That. And basically, uh, this is the downfall of our political system, is the people are not being listened to. The problems that the people are coming up with are not being addressed and basically the attitude is going to be annoying me, I have a job to do here, I'm getting well paid for I'm allowed to go on here and do nothing and my job now is to cover up whatever I can within the day Mm. if it's COVID, if it's UHL, whatever it is and uh, this is basically the nuts and bolts of my job is to try and make everything look rosy but the people on the ground know the facts that things are not rosy, the politics is not working for this country, the politicians are not listening to people in this country And things are not just happening. And it's sad that, as I said, for people to have lost their lives lives throughout this COVID. And as you said there earlier, the science was changing every day. Mm -hmm. So we were misinformed every day and were misinformed in all these areas uh, throughout uh, everything. People are basically not sure, given the respect they, they deserve. Uh, with our political system and the representatives that should be uh, there to uh, think about the people and their needs. And like we need to have trust in our politicians. We need to have trust in our political system that the political system is working for the people of this country, whether it's young or old.
0: Yeah. All right, Pat, hold the line there because Zach is with us as well. How are you, Zach? How are you doing? Good to talk to you this morning, Zach. What do you make of this report?
10: Um... Well, I can believe there were no excess deaths in Ireland in 2020 because I emailed the Central Statistics Office myself, the CSO, at the end of 2021. And the numbers I got back for people who died just from COVID were 61 in total throughout the whole of 2020.
0: 61?
10: 61 only, yeah. For the whole year? Yeah, and 31 of those were over the age of 85.
0: And that's a document you got from the CSO?
10: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: That sounds incredible to me because, I mean, we were at that time we were getting daily r- um, reports and, and bulletins from the Department of Health and from the um, COVID committee at that time. Uh, I think one of the, the, the highest numbers we had on a day was 120, I believe. I'm open to correction on that. But according to a document you got from the CSO... The year of 2021, there was only 61 people officially died of COVID.
10: Yeah, and anybody can email in and get the same information.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. What was your response when you saw that?
10: Um, I had a good idea that the numbers are a lot lower myself because of the amount of um, propaganda and stuff that we were... I did a lot of research and we were faced with huge propaganda and misinformation Mm. from mainstream media throughout
0: what do you
10: think um, that was few, driven yeah. by Zach? Um, financial gain, to some degree. Uh, also, I don't know. I don't really want to go into a lot of stuff because, you know, you just get labelled as a conspiracy theorist or that I'm spreading misinformation. Yeah. But um, I think there's a there's a large agenda at play. And to have countries locked down and everyone locked inside for months at a time was to benefit a certain agenda.
0: Can I ask what agenda that is? Because it didn't benefit anyone from what I could see. I mean, it it didn't certainly didn't benefit business. It didn't benefit us emotionally or psychologically. So, well, what was the agenda?
10: Well, I think it benefited big business, big corporations. I think there's a a massive wealth growth happened between 2020 and 2022. Um, and a lot of people would be unaware of, like some of the richest corporations and some of the richest people in the world um, quadrupled, like trebled their, their wealth in the space of a year, mm. basically.
0: So do you think there was a fluffing of the figures and like we were discussing with the listener earlier there was a big difference between people who died with COVID and people who died of COVID. So do you think this was a deliberate fluffing of figures to make the situation look uh, as bad as they could? To, to I
10: absolutely. Do. I can't point. remember the exact, the exact number but by the end of 2020 I think they were saying there's 3,700 and something people dead from it.
0: Yeah.
10: And that has now turned out to be a complete fabrication because the data is there now for everyone to see.
0: Yeah. I have to say, a listener was in touch. Paul McCarthy uh, was in touch. He said, regarding the exchanges with Professor Staines this morning, it should be pointed out that he is A, qualified to judge, B, close to and familiar with the academic data and without prejudice. Uh, The same cannot be said about either yourself, who's me, or the contributors who commented so scathingly about Professor Staines. That's true, and I made that point. He's a lot more educated than I am on this, but you can't help but be suspicious of a report that says there were no excess deaths. Um, Zach, can I ask, what what do you take from this now? Do you think there needs to be maybe a deeper investigation or review of what exactly went on during COVID, uh, and how many people died from it?
10: Um there needs to be more of an investigation into how many people are, especially young people who were never over it, are never threat from COVID, suffering adverse reactions from the jab to now. Yeah. And the high levels of myocarditis in younger people is we definitely need to look into that. There needs to be an inquiry, no doubt about it.
0: Do you think or would you imagine that that will form part of any government review or do you think that will, some, that will be something that's avoided?
10: I'd say they'll do everything and
0: that's how to avoid it. To avoid. OK, Zach, thanks for taking the call with us this morning. Great to talk to you.
10: No problem, thank
0: you. Thanks, Zach, and Pat as well, who's on the line. Thanks uh, to both of you this morning. Uh, the final word on this from a couple of listeners. The government have a lot to answer too. They brought unnecessary suffering on people who lost loved ones. I lost a relative with COVID a year ago and palliative care team told me um, I could sit with them on the last day. I said I can't as he has COVID and his breathing was so shallow. It would be impossible to get COVID. That's from Joe. Uh, the last one. The contributors on this are correct. The agenda of the government and other governments worldwide needs to be questioned now. We need to start asking who benefited from the lockdown. Lockdowns and vaccines. The question needs to be asked: Who made money as a result? Pharmaceutical companies and large corporations in general have made huge profits in recent years. Keep those texts coming into us: or Tip
3: FM's Tip
8: Today with Fran Curry
3: In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome
0: back to Tip Today. A reminder, Ulton Nesbitt will be with us in the next 15 or 20 minutes or so, so if you have any gardening questions for him to kick off 2024, you can send them in to us now. Log them with us and we'll bring them to him when he's on. eighteen hundred. Or text or WhatsApp 083 Mountjoy Prison is said to be dug up in the coming weeks after a team of archaeologists were enlisted to help find the remains of prisoners executed in the jail as far back as 1870. A key focus for the work is to find and identify the remains of tipman Harry Gleason. Who became the first man in the history of the state to be given a posthumous pardon when President Michael D. Higgins signed the order exonerating him in twenty fifteen. Harry Gleason was hanged on April twenty third of nineteen forty one, after his conviction for the murder of Mary McCarthy. Author of the book Framing of Harry Gleason is Kieran Fagan, and he joins me on the line now. Kieran, good morning.
11: Good morning, Alison.
0: Good to talk to you this morning, Kieran. Now, for anyone maybe who's unfamiliar with the the Harry Gleeson case, I'm sure there aren't many who are not familiar with it. Could you give us the background to it?
11: Well, it's a very sad story about a man who was working on his uncle's farm. He wasn't in, in, at New Inn. His uncle, um, owned, uh, John Caesar, owned, was farming at New Inn, and he his nephew. Um, went to Harry Gleason went to work for him on the understanding Jan, Jan, John Caesar had no children. He'd be, he was married twice without children. And Harry thought the, the understanding was that when when um, John Caesar and his wife died, the farm would pass to Harry Gleason but he was a blow in and and that was a problem um it was a good farm of land you know on golden vale um and uh, he um it, it was when things got bad in that neighborhood somebody um somebody had to had to be to blame and it turned out to be harry now what went bad there was um a woman called maurce I think she was a decent sort of person, but maybe maybe not everybody would agree with me. She lived in a in a in a pretty much a hovel mm. It was a very um run down cottage on the edge of jack C- Caesar's farm on um, a little bit of land on the edge of Jack Caesar's farm Jack Caesar's farm surrounded it on almost on three sides and um she lived. She she had. Um, she was selling sex. I mean, that's. There's no other way yeah. to put it. Um, she had no other source of income. She was a. She was a very good mother, and she looked after her kids as best she could. But she, she was having sex with local men, and she was having children as a result. And the children were going to lo- the local school, not Graffin National School, and and. Um, The respectable people of New Inn were jumpy about this. They were jumpy about their menfolk um, getting involved in with this woman. They were jumpy about her, um, the the possibility of, though I don't think it existed, of Mal's children inheriting the farms of those whose, whose. who, who, who had fathered them. Mm. And and there's a dreadful scene described um, uh, where Mal goes down to the Grafton School to collect her kids one, one day and um, the other women are doing the same and she tells the other women not to be looking so hard at their children. They're as good as, as their children. Her children are as good as theirs. Didn't they have the same fathers? Um, so she wasn't very popular, and an attempt was made to burn her out of her cottage. And this—this uh, was—I'm um, not suggesting that everybody supported it, but mm. enough people were not on, were were happy enough to see something done about her. But in the in the end, she got damages for the. Um, for the for, for for the attack on our cottage, the roof which was a thatched cottage, and the roof was burnt off it, and she got twenty five pounds um, in damages, which was a considerable sum at the time. Her family was growing all the time there were two children when at the time of the the fire in nineteen twenty six and she had four more in fact, she had seven children in all. But the last one, and this was just before she was murdered in 1940, the last one um, was sickly and died and died almost in infancy. Three months, I think, the child survived.
0: Kieran, is um, there any truth to the speculation that she was pregnant at the time she was murdered?
11: No, I, there's not. No, this not. A, the, the autopsy shows otherwise. Okay. Um, she wasn't. Um we now I when I wrote my book I was able to identify the six fathers. Um I, in fact um I since since it's been published and it's it's out of print now, but um I've identified I've pretty confidently identified the father of the seventh child. He was one of the previous six. Right. But um there was something else going on. Um in in, in South Tip. The guards had uh, they, there's the uh, guard station with four four guards in this in New Inn, and um, they they were they were trying to maintain law and order, but um, a lot of people didn't really look to them as as being the guardians of the peace, as it were. Mm. The local IRA, um, old IRA men. Um, were pretty good at um, solving local problems, or so it seemed. And sometimes uh, they would administer rough justice quicker than than the guards would do, because Mm -hmm. the guards had procedures and to follow and they to stay within the law and all that sort of thing, and the threat of action from somebody who had seen service in the third brigade of the old of the old IRA was um, was a much more um, much more effective deterrent, and uh, the. The people who are call, calling the shots, the shots really, in in, in that area, were, were, were former members of the Third Brigade of the Old IRA, mm. and the, the Ireland had just De Valera had just had just made the decision that Ireland would stay neutral during the war. He was his support came from from. People who had been in the IRA and are where IRA sympathetic, and that that um, he, he was walking a tightrope with um, with neutrality. De Valera was a lot of people just thought that England's England's difficulty is Ireland's opportunity. So there was a very uneasy uh, relationship between the old IRA and the guards. In, in 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 lots of places and south tip was was one of them where where the IRA tradition was very strong um, and it was in fact um the old IRA who had been responsible for the fire in um Miles cottage and and um uh, they were a two, two two of them were involved in the murder of mall she it was, they thought they were doing some kind of um, police work you know here is an immoral woman having having children willy-nilly by this one and that one and they would do something about it they actually thought they were doing it, it was mad but yeah. they thought they were doing society some good
0: and tell us how was harry Gleason then implicated
11: well, Harry was Harry was working on on Jack Caesar's farm, and he um, uh, he, he he was um, he was friendly towards Ball. Um, they they were. You know we talked to her over the fence, he'd give her a few potatoes. she was very hard up um he'd give her a few potatoes when nobody was looking. He may even had have had a relationship with her of some kind. We don't know that's a that's speculation mm. but when when Mal was lured to a a house, Lynch's farmhouse, a disused farmhouse nearby in uh, i think to have sex with somebody a customer as it were and um, she was lured to that and she was murdered there by four men four local men they left the body in 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 the field uh, on Jack Caesar's farm where harry um Found it the following morning when he was check, he was out checking where, the she, where his uncle's sheep were. So he was the first to find the body, and he he told he told the police a lie. He said he wasn't he didn't recognise her in lying in the field. There was a dog on top of her. He just looked over the over the um, the the um, ditch, saw the body lying in the field. Her face had been blown away. Um, by a shotgun. But she had the very rem- remarkable red hair. She was a very good looking woman. She was thirty eight, thirty nine at this stage, but she's still a very good looking woman. And he went to, he, he went off to the police and and told them what had happened, but said he didn't recognize her. And and nobody believed him. And that that kind of put him in the frame. I'm not certain that the, the people who murdered her necessarily wanted to frame uh, Harry for yeah. it but it, he he stepped very neatly into the picture and
0: how and much of a, of a role Kieran do you think his defence counsel played because his defence counsel at the time was Sean McBride who I'm sure many what? would have known as as former IRA chief of staff and a future minister then as well so how did that play into well what, what you, you could
11: write a whole book about Sean McBride was a was the most brilliant lawyer at the Irish bar at the time Despite the fact that he was only recently um, qualified, um, when he gave up being chief of staff of the IRA, and he was—he was a very good—he was feared by the other lawyers um, because he he would very often humiliate them in court by by pointing out very obvious things they'd missed and he had done so to this ju- to the judge in this case he'd actually been um, maguire he'd, he'd been up against maguire when before maguire was a judge they'd been on opposite sides of um um a discussion about a challenge to the Offences Against the State Act, and and McBride won a stunning victory against him. So, he was a good choice, and he was a bad choice mm. um, in in that. Um, the rest of the legal establishment wanted to him for his brilliance, distrusted him because of his IRA background, um, and and he also had a very um, people people who may have heard him speak. He had a very odd way of speaking. Uh, he, he had a French accent, and that and a lisp made it made him. Um, it made it sometimes. He seemed difficult and exotic to the, um, certainly to the jury, which was a uh, members of members of the Dublin middle class, who wouldn't have had any time for him. Yeah. Uh, he, he, but he kept. You have to say this. He kept very good notes, and we. Prop, it's proper. It's pos, Sorry. One could argue that although he didn't defend um, Gleason very well, he didn't um, go for the his comrades in the IRA, whom he knew yeah. had carried out the murder, but he didn't attack them. He he, he attacked the prosecution case on, on purely legal grounds. You haven't proved it. You haven't proved it. He didn't offer an alternative um, narrative in court, and, and, that's, and that was wrong. But... Um,
0: So, Ciarán, when when was Harry executed then? And why do we not know?
11: April. I think the murder was um, November... um, I might be wrong, it might be October. November 1940. He was hanged um, in April uh, the following year. It was very quick. I mean, there wasn't time for a proper um, appeal or anything like that.
0: Do you Um, think that might have been done on purpose?
11: I, 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 I was... The, there were greater forces at play, and yeah. um, Valera was fighting again to to deal with the the threat posed by the IRA in that in, in all over the country. He was he was trying to keep the lid on 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 um, the con- the consensus on neutrality, and um, and and things got rushed through. But I don't think they were rushed through to do Dan Harry. I think Harry was just... Um, just had, Yet again, was in the wrong place at the yeah. wrong time.
0: And we're in a situation now where archaeologists will now be involved in the coming weeks and coming months to try and locate his remains at Mountjoy Prison. How hopeful would you be that his remains can be found?
11: Well, Well, I have no inside knowledge on this, but I have been observing the um, behaviour of the Department of Justice in, in the way it has handled this um, since the Minister Alan Shatter um, uh, started the process which led to the successful appeal. And unlike your previous speakers I, I am impressed by how they've handled it.
2: Yeah. Um,
11: uh, they, they, I, I don't think they, they have the they, they could be criticised maybe for not going faster, but I think they've got it right, and I think I think there's a very good chance that they will have Harry, um, Harry's remains, and that they can be as as um, as his nephew, uh, grand nephew, and um, Kevin. Um, uh, says reburied in the old cemetery at Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. So I think I think people have to remember this is also also a good story. The present generation has has recognised the wrong. Uh, he um, Harry Gleeson got the first, um, as you said in your introduction, he got the first um, pardon, um, pos- posthumous pardon, and um, and 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 it was done. Uh, well, and in a dignified way, there was no hiding it or anything like that, mm. and and this was all brought about by by people like like Kevin Gleason and his father Tom, Sean Delaney and his wife Mary, um, all connections of the Gleasons, and 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 um, and and other people. It's it's a, it's a it's a mature society doing remedying an, uh, an old wrong. I, th- yeah. I think it's a good news story. It
0: is, but Kieran, can I ask you um, and I know I'm trying to be sensitive when I ask this, but I know in the years that we've covered this story here there is still, from what I'm aware of there is still some bad feeling locally in relation to this story. Do you think that has eased at all over recent years?
11: Well, I don't live in tep- Yeah, um, I'm a you know, I'm a a blow in from south county dublin um, but uh, i i put that down to embarrassment um as 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 i mean there are people who are there are people listening who are descendants of those who um took part in the murder yeah and 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 there's a, and there's also the guilt thing that, that very few people in Inn spoke up for Harry in, in his hour of need. Now I know the parish priest um, discouraged them from doing that, and I think that, I think the the archdiocese uh, has 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 some uh, has an apology to make over that.
2: Yeah.
11: Um, but the uh, uh, two priests in succession uh, were um, very. Behaved very badly towards Mark Hardy. but the other people behaved well. And um, and but I, 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 to answer your question, I I think there's a residual embarrassment. I wouldn't say guilt, but mm-hmm. embarrassment. And they just wish this thing. A, a lot of people wish it would go away. Well, when Harry's. Body comes up and is property buried properly with his with his own people. I th- I think that think that that will will go away. Yeah. Um, I no, no I my book has not been um, it tells the whole story. I'm not trying to sell it. Yeah, no, give
0: it a plug here, why not? Uh, Well,
11: it's out of print, but thanks, (laughs) Alison. But um, it's never been seriously challenged, and it was written independently of the campaign for um, Eric Leeds and Innocence. The 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 campaign and I were completely separate, and the the first the campaign people knew about my. Findings hmm. was when, when the book was published, they never they, they never knew anything. We just both arrived at the same place, starting at different destinations.
0: Absolutely, it's going
11: to be a great day when Harry is reburied. It and will, and will, you,
0: will you would hope it it, w- it will bring some closure to this. Uh, ah, yes, longer I, longer I, longer I do. And yeah. I mean, when when, you, when we get
11: we get things wrong, and then we get them right. When, when we get them right, we're, we're, uh, I think we can then move
0: on. Absolutely. Kieran, I'll have to leave it there for this morning, but it was Thanks. a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks,
11: Alison, for letting me.
0: No, <laughs> talk. my pleasure. Thanks, Kieran. That's Kieran Fagan there, who's author and former journalist, uh, wrote the book Framing of Harry Gleason.
8: Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today. With Fran Curry,
3: With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie It's time to talk gardening now and our horticulturalist Alton Nesbitt joins me on the line.
0: Alton, good morning, happy new year.
12: Happy New Year to yourself, Alison.
0: Good to talk to you, Alton. We've a lot of questions coming in. I suppose it's an awkward time of year because you can't do much, especially with the rain that's fallen in the last few weeks. It's very hard to get anything done.
12: Well, I mean, things are going swimmingly. <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely, everywhere is uh, really saturated, Certain, and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely starting. So, but I mean, because of a lot, a lot of the rain, it has been so mild as well mm. that there's been su- such, um, I think, starting to bud out even already that there really shouldn't be. Like, I mean, even the lovely rhubarb stools. Like, uh, like this time of the year, it's a great time to start sorting out your fruit garden, and uh, I like um, uh, kind of getting your, your apples, your pears, your plums, and getting the different varieties for your garden um, so that you have a good selection of fruit in your garden. Um, uh, and this is a great time to start planning that for, let's say, 2024. And so uh, there's nothing nicer than picking the, your your own fruit from, from your own trees yeah. um, in, in your garden. Um, and if there's such a wide variety of plants that you can use um, especially if you, now the thing which should wish I most true is, is it's important to have it in full sun and a sheltered site as much as possible so again uh kind of or or if you have a very exposed site go for plants that are much hardier that, that can take that um kind of exposure now i like um say with the apples of course um, you can you know, have um, lovely sweet apples or the cookers um, uh, uh, apples which are the quite large ones are almost the, the size of turnips there's lovely varieties um, that have been t- tried and tested um, through the years and especially for Irish conditions are, that are quite good so things like um, the cox orange pippin which is a lovely sweet apple and that's quite an easy one to grow it's not a particularly heavy cropper but it does produce um, lovely uh, sweet sweet apples from it or then of course you have the bramley seedling uh, um, which is a quite good c- cooking apple and see last year now in 2023, it was very, very good. Yeah. We had an actually an actually bumper crop of, of fruit um, because uh, of the weather was was quite mild as well, and a lot of the fruit trees uh, or fruit bushes tend to flower very early in the year. So it's very important to have them planted in a relatively sheltered area, so that when the flowers come out in in early spring, that they don't get any damage from any any late frost. So I think things like the pears, plums. Um, even peaches, things like that. If you have a high wall, plant them up against the wall so that the, the heat of the wall protects the, the flower buds from any, any late frost damage. Okay. Um, and so, so it gives us much more more shelter. And so especially go for varieties that are self-pollinating. So there's a lovely one, um, the Victoria plum, which is particularly good, um, or, or the opal, opal plum, and, and, and they're self-pollinating. Now, with the plums... They're probably one of the first things to come into flower, so um, always have those plants um up near uh, a wall or in amongst sort of trees or shrubs, so that it, uh, it protects it from any any late frost. Um, the conference pear is a very good early early flowering one as well, and conference um, uh, has this lovely creamy white flower that comes out in it. And again, it's a self-pollinating variety of appear um, uh, again. So have those uh, up against the wall. Almost you kind of an expel, uh, it's called an expel, um shape uh, on, on the the wall. So you almost have like a fan shape or or this kind of, kind of a herringbone shape um, on the wall, and that's particularly quite effective. And and and, and it's quite a nice uh, way to show off your fruit really as well. Yeah. Um, other things then, of course, are the lovely soft fruits, things like the gooseberries, blackcurrants, Um, Or raspberries and they're quite easy to grow really and you have lovely red currants, black currants and white currants. Um, These are things that that you plant once and they keep coming every year with abundance of fruit Um, and and are are quite very good for the bees of course and the birds (laughs) if you wanted to.
0: Absolutely, well to go to to some listener questions because the first one kind of pertains to that uh, vegetables and fruit. A listener is asking can I sow seeds now for outdoor flowers or vegetables?
12: you can and i, I will start sowing trends more hardy um uh, annuals things like um I'm sure, the lovely wallflowers um uh the the um even the rockery perennials or arbus arabis, facatile. saxatile. Uh, these are quite um easy um Plants to sow now and, and start them off in a seed tray, uh, just to speed up the the, the growth of them. The, or or these sometimes you can even throw and grow. They they, they grow quite easily. A thing called calendula, pot marigold. Um, these are bright bright orange yellow flowers uh, right through the whole summer, and they're a great plant actually because they're edible. The, you know, the flower mm. is, is, is edible from head, from head to toe, so it's quite quite good um, one to have in your in your fruit garden or or in in your vegetable garden as well. And I always like that kind of um, uh, interplant. Planting, but with other other or, or, other um, plants,
2: yeah. um, we're
12: having uh, what, that are all edible as well. You know, so the lovely thymes as well. There's lovely creeping thymes, um, which are quite good. So, or even even uh, so, uh, things like the lovely rosemary. And things like that, so there's quite lovely blue flowers on them. But again, are lovely herbs to have have in your garden.
0: Okay, a listener is wondering: Is it possible to take <laughs> geranium cuttings now?
12: Uh, really, with, with geraniums, as long as you take them inside. Um, now, with the geraniums, you, you must have a good firm stem on it, good vegetative growth on it. Generally, what I tend to do is take the cuttings now, even for a day or two, just to to let them dry up a little bit. Um, and, and then um, put them into a lovely gritty compost. Now, normally use 50 50 of ordinary, uh, a, a multi purpose compost with, with um, a, a silica sand. So it's nice and gritty. Um, and that helps the roots to grow quite quickly for you. Now, you don't really have to have a rooting hormone with the geraniums because they grow quite easily. Um, and just put about five cuttings into each um, the nine centimeter pot, um, and that will, will uh, root quite quickly for you. Again, uh, have them inside. Don't allow it to dry out too much either cutting and so always kind of have a little bit of a saucer at the base of the the pot so that you put water in at the base so it never gets too dried out.
0: Okay, a listener says I have a magnolia in my garden. It appears to be dying. It's brown and black. A few of its green leaves are withering. What can I do?
12: Uh, With magnolias magnolia grandiflora which is the evergreen one um, and that sometimes has this kind of rusty leaf underneath it which is, the, which is the nature of it but really if you have this kind of thing called dieback on, on uh, one part of it is to is to cut back to where there's good growth, where, where it's good and solid uh, on the stem um, and then use a thing called Arborx healing seal paint on, onto the stump of it so that protects the rot from going any further into the main main magnolia tree. Um, with magnolias you, you see lots of flower buds starting Perform form on them. These are quite large flower uh, buds that start form. The lovely one called uh, Magnolia stellata or, or Selangiana which is the lovely tulip one. Um, uh, again, because uh, it's lovely now at the moment over miles, the, the flower buds are starting to form quite quickly. I would tend to put a fleece over them right. um, because it is going to get very cold in the next couple of weeks. So, so usually the month of January, February, it gets very cold. So just protect the buds from any frost damage is the main thing with Magnolia's. You can feed them Um, with just a a, a sequester of iron feed, just an acid feed that helps to boost them on to to regenerate a bit of growth on them as well.
0: Okay, I'll have to leave it there because I'm out of time. There's a couple of questions coming in about moss, Alton, so we might uh, touch on that next week. Is that okay?
9: That's no bother at all.
0: Great, thanks for that, Alton. Talk to you then. All the best. That's Alton Nesbitt. They're horticulturalist and gardening expert with us here every Wednesday at around this time. So if you have any questions for him, you can log them with us by uh, text or email if you want. We'll bring them back to him again next week that's it for this morning thanks for your calls and texts Uh, Stephen is up next with the Time Tunnel and the Lunchtime Show, Owen then taking you through the afternoon, I'm back with you tomorrow on Tip Today from 9am, until then have a great day
3: tip today with fran curry with slattery's garage puck on you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call slattery's garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24 or slatterysgarage.ie